welcome to the 270th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony. This is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Now I feel like there's something missing. A big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Logan. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I've been talking about some Batman comics from like the early, like 1960, 1963, and it's just like weird and zany and just really cool in my opinion. Sometimes I talk about movies, sometimes I do like opinion pieces on certain topics. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash shaman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right, this week there's uh, no main sort of theatrical movie release. There is a movie feature. Uh, there, the movie that I almost went to see was Pray for the Devil, and that's P R E Y. It looks like it's it's just like an exorcism movie, and I, I feel like there's been so many exorcism movies. And I'm curious. I, I've seen the, the trailer a few times going to the theater. I just I was just like, I don't know. I, I felt like there's there's enough other stuff to talk about. And I was like, do I want to pay to see this in a theater? Uh, you know, I'll see it at some point. So I didn't do that. So the main feature is going to be the peripheral. That's a, the Chloe Grace Moritz Amazon series. And I'm only going to talk about the first two episodes. So let's see. Last two Fridays ago, the first two episodes dropped and then episode three just dropped last Friday. And I, I figured for, again, my sanity and because I'm so considerate of you guys, I want to make sure you guys can keep up in case you haven't had a chance to watch episode three yet. <laughs> you can hear about that next week. That's, that's the real reason, right? Uh, the other movie feature is going to be dangerous game, the legacy murders, or that's the, the one movie feature. This is a movie. And I, I was released limitedly in theaters. I got it. On, I bought it on Vudu. So this is a movie written by Brian Bucciolato. So if you know Brian, he, him and Francis Manipole, they did the Flash, New 52 Flash run. Awesome, amazing. I love that Flash run. They worked on Detective Comics, and you know Brian's done other other comic stuff. And uh, he wrote this movie, and it it stars John Voight and. Uh, Jonathan Reese Myers. It's, it. I guess the, the easy way to say it, it's it's kind of like Ready or Not, the Samara Weaving movie. So it's kind of like Ready or Not and Saw, maybe even like Knives Out if you want to mix that in as as well. So it's it's an interesting movie. It obviously it's it's a lower budget movie, but there's some cool things. Um, there's some cheesy things with the acting and, and at some points, but you can hear about that. Then we have another episode of Star Wars Andor. We have Star Girl. We have a weird episode of Chucky, which apparently people liked. I didn't like it so much, so you can hear why. And then the season finale of The Patient and the season finale of House of the Dragon. So there's a lot, plus comic books and news. There is a lot of news this week, so let's let's get to it. Uh, first thing, you may have been hearing mention of Henry Cavill. <laughs> Uh, without getting into specifics, but like Dwayne Johnson said, so oh yeah, I think you know Black Adam and and Superman should should face off against each other. You know, it, it seems fitting and natural because of the, the powerhouse houses, you know, of who they are, the characters, and and everything like that. 
Henry Cavill on, I think it was Monday, he posted like a little video on, on Instagram, like him in, in the costume. And he says that he, he's, he's excited for an enormously joyful Superman to, to return. And he's, he said that there's like a bright future coming. <laughs> and so does that mean that Zack Snyder is going to be nowhere near involved with it? I don't know. I mean, super, the, the thing is Superman is supposed to be a symbol of hope. Don't get me started on Man of Steel. And if you like it, that's fine. You're entitled to your wrong opinion. But I just, Superman doesn't kill. He shouldn't kill. He can find other ways to, to solve a problem. But Henry Cavill is, is great as Superman. So I, I would love just like a, just give us a, just an awesome Superman. But we don't need, we do not need just slow motion scenes left and right all the time. My goodness. Um, so speaking of DC in the, in the future, uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran are co-CEOs of DC Studios. So there's no more DC films. And they're doing DC Studios. They're already trying to be like Marvel Studios. I don't know. Coincidence. And so James Gunn's obviously going to be handling the creative side. Peter Safran's going to be doing more of like business and production. They're still... It says that there now. I, I meant to look up Peter Safran. The name sounds familiar, but you know, I'm, I'm a dumb dumb sometimes, so I'm probably just blanking out. But because it, it, it said both of them are still able or will possibly like be directing and producing stuff, so I don't know if that means Peter Safran is has directed. Maybe he's directed stuff again. Again, I, I should know this. So just because you know everyone's saying about James Gunn, it doesn't mean he's not directing anymore. You know, he he's still going to be. Uh, on doing you know doing both things and uh like kevin feige commented on it because this basically means you know he's not gonna be doing any marvel stuff and kevin's like i'm gonna be the first in line to see whatever he does so that that was cool that was that was nice and you know, he's saying how he's a big fan of his and all that and then speaking of gardens of galaxy so we had a trailer for the gardens of galaxy holiday special which comes out on November 25th. So it'll be on, on Disney plus it looks silly. It's a holiday. So it's supposed to be silly. You know, James Gunn, I, I think he's trying to channel like the star Wars holiday special aspect, which is something else. And uh, he, he's kind of going for that. So if you watch the trailer spoilers, if you haven't, the, the, you know, Peter, Peter Quill, star Lord is sad. So they want to try to make him happy. So they're going to take him to earth and they want to have Peter meet his his hero. I won't spoil who his hero is in case you haven't watched the trailer and you know you you don't want you want you do want it to be a surprise. But just watch the trailer. I mean, it's it's worth watching. So I, I definitely will watch it, and um, we'll we'll see what happens. Zoe Saldana commented about how. It, they're already getting ready to say goodbye because you know this is it. This is wrapping things up. James Gunn also said that this is going to be the last time we see these characters or like this. Now I don't know if that necessarily does this mean we'll never see the Guardians of any of these characters before, or does this mean like this version of the team? Because I don't see why. I get that he formed his team. He really put his stamp on these characters and all that. But who's to say that someone else isn't going to come in and use them for, for some something? And, you know, whether you some of them or all of them, you know, try to whatever. Or maybe they're all going to die at the end of Guardians Galaxy Volume 3. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, she was saying how it's kind of like, you know, bittersweet, you know, knowing that the ending is coming and, and all that. So 
We'll see. Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania. Uh, the trailer came out, and um, it looks looks interesting. And uh, it, it's it's going to be weird with, with Jonathan Majors, right? He's, he's king. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how this picks up from Loki and what we're, we're going to see. So I'm, I'm really curious you know, what, what they're going to do with that. Uh, Black Panther or Wakanda Forever, there's some reactions that came out. I didn't really read any because I'm trying to avoid it. So that this movie comes out next week. Or no, this, this week? Next week. Next week for us. I'm, I'm trying to f- figure this out. Or I'm trying to remember. But there is like more clips that came out. I think there's like a Rihanna song that came out. I I'm never really listened to Rihanna music, so but people are making a big deal, so maybe it's really, really cool. So so that that's that's great. But I'm I'm avoiding the clips. I, I it's at the point now where the movie is almost here. You don't need to sell me. I don't need to see any more clips or anything like that. So I'm I'm gonna avoid them. Hugh Jackman talked about re- returning as Wolverine, uh, and one at one one quote or one I think he said that after seeing like a screening for the first, he's like, "Oh man, he's like we could have done like a forty eight hours, you know, like Nick Nolte, Eddie Murphy, and you know just just to, to play it like that." But then I guess since it's been starting, you know, Ryan Reynolds because they're friends, he's like, he's "Like you should come back as Wolverine, you should come back as Wolverine," and he's like, "No, no, no," and then finally he's like, "Yeah, I think I want to do it." And I think it actually like kind of surprised Ryan Reynolds, and it was like perfect timing because they're like at the stage where trying to figure out like what they're going to do and what direction and, and what the story will be. So we're going to have Wolverine, and is he supposed to be like like a grumpier Wolverine and everything like that? Which is is going to be fun to see like grumpy Wolverine and, and wacky zany Deadpool. So that comes out November eighth, twenty twenty four. So it feels like it's going to be a long wait, but that's okay because good things, right? All that that stuff. HBO Max, there's stuff about the, the Green Lantern series. So a lot of people were concerned, like, oh, no, it's going to get canceled because the new CEO is canceling everything and all this. So it's not really getting canceled, but it is kind of getting revamped, the, the new direction. The orig- Originally, the Green Lantern series was going to focus on Guy Gardner and Alan Scott, which is kind of a weird pairing. They actually, the, the showrunner and everything wrote, uh, they had scripts for eight episodes they're not going to use any of them. So it's like tax write-off, which, okay. So instead of focusing on Guy Gardner and Alan Scott, the focus is going to be on Jon Stewart, which is cool. But but here's the thing. We've seen Jon Stewart many times. We've never really seen Guy Gardner. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think if they're in that, that one really – Bad suffering. I think it was the '80s. We had Justice League. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I, there's nothing to talk about. Forget I said anything. So that's fine. I I I still would like to see Hal Jordan or Kyle Rayner. They've always been my favorites. You know, Hal Jordan because he was original. You know, he was the first one I saw when I saw those old Super Friend cartoons. And obviously, you know, I I love Kyle. I'd, I'd love to see him with some. But you know, it makes sense. We we can see Kyle later. Uh, and you know John Stewart, he does deserve his, his his time to shine. He's often been neglected. You know, there he's a deep character. He's got layers, so you know there's a lot you could do with him. I look at it partly like, well, he was in Justice League Unlimited. You know, all all, all those episodes and everything like that. So he kind of had that time. 
But then you could also say that because he was on there, you know, he he was the Green Lantern for a lot of people because that's all they knew. So for me, where I start off with, with Hal Jordan, a lot of people start off with Jon Stewart. So it makes sense that those people, they might want to see Jon Stewart. Maybe they could care less about Hal Jordan because they don't really have a connection to him. I'm all fine with that. You know, I, I'm not bummed at by any means that we're getting Jon Stewart. I think that's awesome. And I think he deserves it. But, you know, I would like to see other characters as well. Why not have Hal, John, Guy, and Kyle and just, you know, an ensemble, but maybe season two or later, who knows? We'll have to see. HBO Max, I, I somehow don't remember hearing about this. There's going to be an Arkham Asylum series, and I think this is another spinoff from the Batman. Uh, so the, the dude, um, Antonio Campos, who is listed as like the creator of the staircase and the staircase I think is, is based off a true story, uh, a crime thing it was HBO. And I think that's the Colin Firth miniseries. I think it's like six episodes. It looks interesting. I want, wanted to watch it. My wife actually watched it. I, I can't really comment on it. So Arkham Asylum, uh, Antonio Campos is going to be the showrunner and the director. Um, I guess he also directed an episode of The Punisher. I think at least one. I think it was one on Netflix. So, you know, he has a comic connection and all that. So that, that's cool. I, I just wonder what will they do with Arkham Asylum? You know, are they going to be able to use any actual characters? You know, who, who can they bring in? And, you know, if there's going to be a connection to the movies, if it's connected to the Batman. So I'm, I'm really curious what's, where that's going to go. One thing you may have noticed, I, I'm not talking about Star Wars Tales of the Jedi. Maybe I'll talk about it next week because since there's no House of the Dragon and no um, patient, maybe I can squeeze that in. I, I don't even know what the movie feature is. There a movie feature next week? I gotta, I'll, I'll let you know by the end of the episode. But there's six shorts. So part of the reason I, I, I was kind of bummed because it's like, let's drop all six at once. Now the shorts, I think, are only like ten to fifteen minutes, or maybe like fifteen. So fifteen times, you know, it's 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 almost like a movie length. But I just didn't have the time. I, I barely, fin- I didn't even get a chance to read all all of this week's comics. I tried my best to get most of them, so I didn't get a chance to watch Tales of Jedi. So I was I was bummed that they all dropped at once. I think I already said that. I, I could try to try to watch them next week, but the reason I bring it up, so if you watch them, you already know, Dallas Bryce Howard is voicing Yaddle in one of the episodes or something like that. And I'm not really sure if it's such a focus on her flashback, whatever. So that that's cool. I, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. Speaking of Star Wars, so to Damon Lindelof Star Wars, uh, it sounds like it's possible. It's not 100% confirmed, but it's possible there may be some sequel era um, characters. So like possibly Ray or Finn or Poe. I think Poe's going to be hard because I think Oscar Isaac's like busy. Finn, I don't know if John Boyega wants to come back since he he's so unhappy with, with what happened. I totally get it, but at the same time, it's like, you know, they that's still how the story went. And, you know, he he's bummed that they didn't give his character a bigger story. And I don't know was more promise to him. I mean, I, I, that's just... Uh, I don't know, but I, I mean, I I would like to see more. What's happening with 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 Finn and Ray? You know, after the end of Rise of Skywalker, so it's not a, like a sequel to Rise of uh, a Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker, it's a standalone movie. It's so it's not a continuation or anything like that. But I, this is what I was hoping for when 
for the last Jedi, what was I can't. Remember. I don't know why I have such a hard time remember remembering the names of, of the sequel <laughs> movies. When these movies started, I envisioned. I was like, okay, this would be cool. This is like a passing of the baton, passing of the torch, whatever, passing whatever you want, pass the duchy on the left hand side. Uh, I was like, okay, you know, we're saying goodbye to these beloved classic characters that many of us grew up with. Introduce us to these new characters and have them take over the the narrative or whatever. So it would be cool to, to see more of them, but we'll see. Because I, as I always say. You introduce, you know, a bunch of new random characters. You got to sell me on it. And, you know, it could be super easy to to sell me, but it might be hard. Star Wars Andor, I think it's a fascinating show. I'm not, I'm still not deeply invested in Andor. I don't, I'm not, I don't have a connection to him. I still kind of don't care about him, even though we're eight episodes in. I, I just feel... He, I don't think feel like he's that likable of a character. I mean, yes, I'm sorry, you, whatever crap you you went through growing up, but I I don't really cares that much about him. You know, I know he's going to do the right thing. So if you're going to do these new Star Wars things, I'd I'd like to have a connection to him. I don't need to, you know, you can it, again make a compelling story and characters and you know whatever. Moving on. <laughs> So there was a Doctor Who news. Uh, it's, it's Doctor Who's coming to Disney Plus, sort of, kind of. It's, it's it's just Disney Plus is going to be streaming new episodes of Doctor Who. They're not like in charge of production or anything like that. You know, it's still going to be BBC, but outside of the UK or wherever, we're going to be able to watch Doctor Who, which is weird because we've always watched it on BBC America. I don't know why it's not continuing, and maybe it's because not everyone. Maybe it still will be, but I, I think it would just be because I'm having to record stuff on the DVR, and, and I'm behind, which is the other thing that's interesting is, aren't Doctor Who episodes on HBO Max? Because I know with the Jodie Whittaker ones, I'm like so behind, and I, I do want to watch those at some point. I, I need a time bubble where I could just go in there, stop everything else and just catch up on stuff and then return to reality. So I do want to, want to watch those, but uh, at some point, so you, you'll be able to watch them on Disney plus. There's some little, there was a teaser for like the, the 60th anniversary special. And we see David Tennant on there. What, why, what he's back. And I think he's like, I don't know who I am or there's like stuff. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. So, We'll see that. I think I heard that Tegan and Ace are coming back with this new doctor. I'm I'm really curious to see this new doctor, too. And uh, uh, because Tegan was a huge part of, you know, what I, Ace, I don't have, I don't feel like I have that much of a connection, but I remember Tegan from the Peter, she came right at the end of Tom Baker. Right. I think she was there for the regeneration into Peter Davidson. and, And she was there with, was she, or did she was she there to Colin Baker? Was Tegan still around with Colin Baker? Colin Baker was such a jerk when he he came on. But yeah, I, I, anyways, so it'll be cool if, if they're back because I think I saw something where there's like they were like in tears that that they're asked to come back. They're so happy, and I, I think that's awesome because I, and I also I would find it so fascinating to have characters who were, because I always wonder what happens to the companions after they, they stop hanging out with, with the doctor, you know, when they try to return to their normal lives, knowing that they've gone, gone through time and space. And now it's like, okay, I'm going to go back to work, working in, you know, the cubicle or whatever. So I, I would love to see 
where it's going to go. Uh, the Flash season nine, I find this kind of interesting. They've added, uh, I don't know how, you, I've never really paid attention to her name or heard it. Je- Jevisia Leslie. So Ryan Wilder, Batwoman, she is going to be on The Flash, but she's going to be the villain. So it's like, wait, what? Because at first I was like, oh, they're bringing Batwoman onto The Flash. That's cool because, you know, Batwoman, unfortunately, is canceled, even though you know, I didn't watch the last two seasons. So I was like, maybe they're going to have Batwoman hanging out with, with in Central City. Who's watching Gotham? I don't know, but it'll be cool to see her. But apparently she's going to be the villain or something like that. So her role is top secret. They're not saying what, what's going on. The rumor is that she's possibly going to be Red Death. So in the comics, Red Death is an alternate, like, evil version of Bruce Wayne. So after Bruce Wayne's Robin sidekicks or whatever are killed, he taps into, like, the, the speed force and steals or absorbs, buries, you know, the Flash's powers or something like that. So, okay. That, I mean, why not? You know, we, we have the final season. Let's let's do what we need to do and make something cool. Just as I, and although, so that's the thing. It, it, it'll probably, this is what what's going to happen. I was about to say, it'll be cool to have a villain who's not directly tied to this, you know, having speed powers. But, if this sounds like maybe there could be, but that's fine. Everything's always about speed, I guess. Um, John Core, who plays Chill Blaine, uh, the last season, last two seasons, has been promoted to series regular. So that's good for Caitlin, or that's good for, well, I was going to say it's good for Frost, but there is no Frost, maybe? Will there be? There is a tra- non comic related stuff, but there is a trailer for The Pale Blue Eye. So this is a Netflix series uh, with Christian Bale, and it it looks interesting. You watch his trailers, like, wait, what? Read the synopsis. I don't have the synopsis in front of me, but there's, I think there's like, it's something that's tied to Edgar Allan Poe. But there's like this victim that was, you know, there's this dead body, or whatever. Then they realize that like the heart's been missing, the heart's been taken. So uh, I'm I'm curious to see that, and I'm really curious to see, you know, Christian Bale doing like a Netflix movie, whether it was made and then Netflix bought the distribution. I I don't know like the, the how it all came to be, but that that could be interesting. Then there's talk, or I forget who who is it, but they they want to do a Fast and the Furious movie with just female characters, and you know because they're they're saying that there's so many awesome you know, you know women you know in the different movies and plus now that we have brie larson coming in you know we we could just have all these women carrying the movie so that would be cool and of course vin diesel because he's like how attached is he you know in charge is is he like in charge of making decisions as well since he's does he own a piece of of it i don't know but you know he's on board with it too so okay that that's cool uh journey smollett's will not confirm or deny that a Black Canary movie starts filming next year. Someone asked her, and she's like, I can't, I can't say anything. And it's like, I can't even confirm or deny what you just said. You know, I didn't even hear that or something like that. So maybe that means it will be starting production. So hopefully that'll be cool. Then there is a rumor, possibly, it's possible spoiler, I don't know. So I don't know if you want to like skip 30 seconds or whatever. But Secret Invasion, it, you know, the big question is, who the heck is Amelia Clark playing? There is like some, I've, so apparently, maybe, possibly, here's a spoiler, 
so get fast forward, she might be playing Abigail Brand. So she's like the mutant alien hybrid. Um, interesting character. It, it would make sense. I mean, it would be fitting. It totally, it would make a hundred percent, you know, sense with what we're doing with the scrolls and with space and and everything. So we'll see. I, I guess I don't know. <laughs> sausage party. I there's making a sausage party TV series. I've never seen Sausage Party. I I don't know. Maybe it's a it's a hilarious movie or maybe it's just a funny movie. I I don't know. I like Seth Rogen stuff. I didn't watch it because not that again, I am not a prude and I know I often come across that by like kind of not necessarily condemning certain things. I just a lot of time I don't feel like certain things are are necessary. I don't think you need to have full on profanity to make something funny. You know, is Deadpool only funny because there's potty humor? No, I think Ryan Reynolds is is brilliant and hilarious. I don't think it has to be, you know, cursing and this and that. Does it make certain things funny? Yeah, of course. But then Sausage Party, I think, you know, there is a lot of like sexual innuendo jokes, even though it's all food. I I don't know. I could be totally wrong. I saw in an article, I I forget who wrote it, or maybe it was a comment where someone said something like, once you go taco, you never go baco, baco, taco, taco, baco. I don't know if that's from the movie or not. I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> it's it's so dumb. So if it was actually, I don't know if it was random commenter just made that up or if it was in the movie. You can tell me if you saw it. Should I see Sausage Party? <laughs> Maybe I should watch Sausage Party and talk about it on a secret podcast. Maybe we'll see. But yeah, so there's gonna be t- and it's like eight courses. So I guess it would be like eight series, eight episodes. I don't know where. I, I didn't see like where it might possibly appear. So I don't know who put it out. Servant, M. Night Shyamalan Servant. So this is the Apple Plus uh, series. This series is so freaky and so stressful, whatever. Uh, season four is coming out. It's the final season. I was like, my goodness. I don't want it to end, but part of me is like, whew. But uh, there is a, a trailer that came out, and it just it shows it kind of recaps a lot of things, shows a lot of the crazy things, and it's like saying that we're going to find out all this stuff. But man, January thirteenth uh, that comes out, so that that looks nuts. So if you have Apple Plus, or if you've been thinking about it, get Apple Plus, watch Servant, watch definitely watch Severance, and then watch Ted Lasso, which I still haven't watched. I need to do that, but I don't have time. So there, there's a, a lot of stuff on, on Apple that I, I feel like goes under for all mankind. I, I kind of wish I talked about that on this podcast, but I still haven't finished the last season. Um, there's, so there's, there's a lot of, lot of cool stuff on Apple Plus. And then the last bit of news is uh, rumors, poss- possible uh, WandaVision sequel, spinoff, Vision Quest spinoff, something. So it, it, uh, one thing, I, I, the first thing I read is is a, uh, WandaVision sequel possible. And then another thing, it sounds like just a Vision Quest like spinoff where Wanda may appear in some episodes but may not be in all of them. And, you know, part of it is, you know, is she available? Um, Elizabeth Olsen, if not, not Wanda. I'm sure Wanda can be made available, if whatever. So we'll have to see. Because basically if, if you watched WandaVision, you know, like where is the Vision and, you know, we haven't seen Vision since. So, you know, they could definitely do that. I, f- I feel like it's something that needs to be addressed at some point. But if, if it happens, it won't be for a while because, you know, uh, Agatha, the Agatha Harkness series, I guess, would happen first. 
and we will have to see. So that would be cool. And um, I think that is it for the news. So it's a little longer, but like I said, there is a lot. Okay, uh, for comic books at Image, we had American Jesus number one. I, I, I started reading this, and I, I was a little confused. I wasn't really clear what's going on. Uh, so the synopsis you know, is by Mark Miller, Peter Gross, Tom Coker, uh, doing art. The third and final volume of, of Miller and Gross's Antichrist trilogy is finally here and coming soon as a live-action horror series from Netflix. The apocalypse is upon us, Satan is in the White House, and the return Christ is all that stands between humanity and their enslavement in a new world or new world order. I think my confusion is because I remember when the first series came out like long ago, and I remember reading that. And then I feel like this I could be wrong, but I think when the second one came out, it almost felt like like a reboot. And I was like, I was I was kind of confused. I was like, is this just happening again? Is this what's going on? And then when I started reading this, it's just like there's all these angels flying around. It's like, wait, wait, what? you know there's like no like recap like what happened before and all this so i was like started reading the first few pages and i'm like i i don't even know what's going on and i started flipping a little bit and then i just stopped because I, I i'm not sure what's going on so maybe i need to track down do i do i have a digit do i have physical or digital of the second i don't know but uh yeah so that came out so uh, hopefully if you you're into it you read it and to see what happened um, so it's a three-issue miniseries, and that's, this is the, the conclusion to the trilogy. Creep Show number two came out. I didn't read this. You know, there's there's different creators on board with this, and so part of it was being honest. There's a time factor where I was like, I just, I don't have time to read this right now because I really need to record this in this window. And part of it is like I don't know if I want to read these random horror stories because you know it it could kind of d- depend on. You know the creators well. Like when Chris Burnham did was involved with the first issue. I I I love Chris as an artist and as he he's a cool guy. You know, having talked to him a, a few times at conventions, so I was like, yeah, of course I want to want to read that. So I will definitely check out this issue at some point, but I didn't. Now I started flipping through it, and I, I yeah, so I'll I'll check it out at some point. Ooh, Image thirtieth anniversary anthology. I didn't read. I don't. I think I, I'm not sure if I read issue six, so I, I need to, to see about that. Uh, then there is a, there's this Lovesick comic came out. I didn't read that. It's um, Lo- Lovesick Club is an exclusive subscriber only site on the dark web that offers the best in erotic and ultraviolet entertainment. Their matriarch Domino and her fellow dominatrixes punish and torture none other than their own loyal subscribers, many of whom pay good money to meet their end by her hand in front of a large anonymous audience. I was like, eh, not really my thing. So you can check that out. Uh, Magic Order 3, number four came out. I didn't get a chance to read this, so you can keep up with that. Um, Then, oh, man. So I was like looking through. I totally missed this. Rose Gallery issue four came out. So this series, I'm, I'm I'm really digging. I highly, highly recommend if you haven't been reading Rose Gallery. So this is by Hannah Rose May. Um, it's it's just it's a brilliant. And I, I think didn't they say that this is going to be adapted? Uh, so track down the, these four issues and and read this because I I'm really I definitely need need to read read that. 
And then there is Vanish number two. So this is by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman. I I am such a huge Ryan Stegman fan. I just love his art. And I, I, I always say I feel like it gets like better and better each time. So they created this interesting world. You know, there's like this other world with magic. And then there's like the regular world. And then, you know, there's like this crossover and stuff like that. So and we, we saw there's this dude and he like saved a mugger and used some magic. And then cause there's like these heroes or villains or whatever using powers and someone, you know, kind of gets involved and, you know, maybe they shouldn't. And there's some people like living kind of like uh, under the radar, you know, right. Not really using their secrets. So, you know, this may have made some things worse and, and stuff. It's, it's a, it's definitely interesting new world. And this is what, what I feel makes comics fun and exciting. You know, you know, if you've been listening, you know, I love like the Marvel and the DC books with their, you know, long extended histories and all these characters and, you know, just it's so many cool things. But it's always fascinating when you get something new and it's like, you know, because it's completely brand new. We don't have that history. So we're, we're just like experiencing everything for the first time. So I, I again, I, I recommend, you know, Vanish 1 and 2. You, you should definitely check those out. At Boom Studios, I did not read this. I'm, th- I'm kind of interested in this. So, Damn Them All, number one. This is a six-issue series. This is by Simon Spurrier and Charlie Adlard. In, in this new dark supernatural thriller for fans of We Have Demons and Something is Killing the Children, meet Ellie, bloody L, Hawthorne, a cultist for hire, following the death of Ellie's uncle and infamous magician, uh, or following the death of Ellie's uncle Anne, infamous magician and occult detective, the 72 devils of the Ars Goetia are mysteriously freed from their infernal realm. It is now up to Ellie to track down each of these exiled demons and damn them right back to hell by any means necessary. Holy water, conjuration, or just her trusty rusted claw hammer. Uh, legendary... The Walking Dead artist Charlie Adler teams up with Step by Bloody Step scribe Simon Spurrier to introduce your favorite new occult antihero since John Constantine. So that could be interesting. So that's from from Boom. So you should track that down. Um, House of the Slaughter, House of Slaughter issue ten came out. I'm behind on that as as well. So I I need to get caught up there. Then at DC Comics, there's. The Human Target, Issue 8. So this is Tom King and Greg Smallwood. And uh, this, I so I love Greg Smallwood's art. I mean, it's, it's so, so good. This issue, it, the, you know, some, it almost felt like it was like a, not necessarily detour, but that the thing is, so the, the whole premise of, the, of this series is Human Target is dying. He, you know, he, he was posing as Lex Luthor to kind of protect him or whatever like that, he ends up getting poisoned. There's no cure. He's dying. And I forget how long, if it was like 12 days or 15 days or something like that, he's dying. He's been hanging out with ICE and, uh, you know, from Fire and ICE, uh, Justice League International, trying to figure out who poisoned him, you know, what's going on and, and everything like that. This issue, he gets taken by someone because of stuff that happened in a previous issue with like the the death of someone. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so he basically human targets being questioned and everything like that. And I, I don't know. It's just it had, a, you know, a, a good ending in our first story. But it's just like 
he and he was mad because like you know he he just he lost some time because of of, of this. So it's just I don't know. Um, Harley Quinn issue twenty three. I'm not so my, my my problem with this Harley Quinn series. So Harley, in case you're not keeping up, Harley recently was killed, and then this dude Kevin, Kevin was like a he used to be like a Joker henchman, and he is like now like Harley's best friend or whatever. You know he 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 basically takes Harley's body and finds like a, a Lazarus pit or whatever and begs them to you know let them revive her and all, or all this stuff like that. So Harley's back, obviously, and are there going to be consequences from the Lazarus Pit? Maybe, but I just don't care about this Kevin character, and and I think part of it I look at is like, oh, they're supposed to, they're so close and everything like that, and I feel like like well, what about all the other characters that Harley was close to when when Jimmy Palmiotti and, and Amanda Connor wrote the series? I get that they may not necessarily want to use those characters because those are not not that they're their characters, but they're trying to do something different and, and you know maybe move away from that, but it's just I don't I just don't care. I'm not sold in this Kevin character, and maybe because I'm haven't been like reading every single issue, but yeah, it's just whatever, Kevin. Sorry, I don't care about you. Detective Comics 1065. I've been having a hard time getting into this story arc. You know I love Batman, but there's something about this this arc that's just hasn't been quite grabbing me I, I don't i don't know so i'm kind of like writing this out like waiting to see you know where, where it's going to go deathstroke inc 14 so we're still in this deathstroke year one story i still think it's it's totally weird and bizarre considering like all this other stuff that's happening with with deathstroke and now we're like going back to his, his history it is cool to see him playing out you know like he just got the costumes and you know so many people are like why are you wearing his orange you know construction you know this bright orange suit and uh so just like what he'll do and you know he just it's it's cool to see deathstroke like not like scale back but it it, it's you know he's just starting out so i i'm I'm really enjoying what ed person is doing here uh dc versus vampires issue 10 this this was a a good issue you know there's still they're trying how can they get to the vampire king uh, what is green arrow up to the punchline is in here it's like oh boy so there's there's I, I i won't spoil anything but things are are getting interesting batman fortress issue six so batman uh aqua aquaman uh jackson hyde red arrow and um Oh, wait, who is it? Who is the other one? So Lex Luthor, and I don't. It's not Chip, but it's a Green Lant, like a squirrel Green Lantern or whatever is a squirrel or something like that. They're trying to figure out how they can stop these aliens, and you know, it's, Superman's missing. Is he where? Where'd he go? So they're trying to access his Kryptonian technology in the Fortress of Solitude, but they don't necessarily have access to it. So they're saying, you know, what, what can they do to, to get in there? And uh, so, like, you know, Batman having to team up with Lex Luthor is not easy for him, but um, it just does make things kind of interesting. Then there's a Tim Drake Robin issue, too. It, it's so weird. So Riley Rosmo, you know, I, I say this all the time. I totally dig his style, and I would love to be able to have that style because I do not have a style of my own or I don't have a style that I like. 
So I love how he could just take any character and put it like a stamp on there. But just the one, th- I think the biggest problem I have is the way he draws Tim's hair. And, and, and it's almost like he kind of doesn't. It's almost like it's just like on his skull and then you just have like the, the hairlines or whatever. But the covers, because, you know, Tim Drake has always had not necessarily like spiky hair, but it's been kind of like the messy and like kind of sticking up to shoveled or whatever. So there's like all these variant covers and the interiors are nothing like that. I still, I don't know. It could because with, with Tim coming out as bisexual, I feel like it's almost like it's a different character now. And just like the way he handles himself and he approaches things, you know, it, there's there's still like so much stuff about him talking about his boyfriend and just like all these emotions and stuff like that, where when he was with Stephanie, he it was you didn't get like all that emotion access or layers to that emotion. So it's just weird that he's being more like touchy feely with his in a, in a narration with how he feels about stuff. And he, you know, there's all this talk about like distancing himself from Bruce Wayne and Batman. And all. It's like, dude, you haven't been hanging out with, with Batman in the longest time. So it's like, what are you, what are you talking about now? So I'm just, it's just a, a little weird. And the goth, the GCPD like hate Robin, hate Tim Drake for, you know, his Robin for some reason. And, you know, there's this murder. They're like, oh, it's him or something like that. And they're just accusing him. So it's, it's just. And I get it, it's to, to move the story or spice up the story or whatever, but it's just, uh, I don't know, it just feels like it's, it's a bit much. Maybe I'm just being too picky or too demanding, I don't know. Riddler year one, I'm just, I, mean, I feel like I'm, I'm not enjoying anything. <laughs> Riddler year one, I, I was reading it, then like skimming it, and I, I don't know, I'm just, we're kind of getting like an origin of the Riddler type of thing and, and seeing him like the hard worker, you know, getting used and abused by his, his boss or, you know, but it's just like, I just, I did not care. I'm just like, oh my goodness, who cares? Um, Punchline, the Gotham game. I, I, I'm like fascinated with, with Punchline's appearance with her, her character design and just the idea of her. I don't like how elevated she's become because to my understanding you know, she was just a college student who was fascinated with with the joker and his methods of creating chaos and murder or whatever and i just feel like like bam and then she's like all of a sudden she's like this super crazy fighter where she can take i mean i don't care how much what training she's had i mean harley quinn has had a lot more experience and everything so i don't feel like she should be like mopping the floor or you know getting the upper hand and even just like fighting anyone so it's just but then, um, so she's out of prison, and she decides uh, she wants the Royal Flush Gang to come back, and I don't know. It's just like, oh, my gosh. Then there is uh, Catwoman Lonely City, issue four. So this is by Cliff Chiang, and this is, uh, I think this is the last issue. This is just really good. It's really cool. So this is like Catwoman in the future, uh, just her, you know, she was in jail for like 10 years, and other things are going on, and I, I would still don't want to spoil anything, so I just you need to read that. There was a Batman Gotham Knights Gilded City, so I think this is a video game tie-in, and it's like before the video game, because Batman's still there. I was like skimming through that. I, I didn't win me over. Batman Beyond uh, the White Knight. Batman Beyond the White Knight or Batman Beyond, The White Knight, take your pick, issue six came out. So this is just a great series. 
uh, I recommend all the Sean Murphy Batman series, but more about Batman and Dick Grayson and Jason Todd and Harley Quinn and and just everything. So I it's it's good. You know, if you haven't been reading it, it won't make sense for me to talk about what's happening here. If you have been reading, then you know what's been happening. And if you're not caught up, I don't want to spoil anything. So it's just good. And then Action Comics 48. So with Superman back on Earth, and it's great. I, I'm so excited. I'm so happy that, that he's back. But he brought War World with him. So there's like all these alien like kind of refugees that came back. I do agree that that might be a bit much, especially when, you know, some of these these aliens have like these crazy superpowers, you know, compared to regular people. So it's almost like you're you're, you know, having to be very trusting that they're going to all do the right things. And it doesn't matter like, oh, we all bonded and fighting against Mongol and and all that. But it's, it's like no, there's still a danger. So I think Superman is going to try to find us other place to, to put it and or help people get to their planets or I don't know. But that, yeah, you got that stuff going on. And then uh, yeah, then there's uh, Lex is like up to some stuff, which, of course, uh, we'll have to see where, where that goes and everything. But it's just, it's good that Superman is back. Then at Marvel, <laughs> Axe Judgment Day, issue six. I tried skimming through because I think this is, I think this is it. I think this is the end. And I... Oh, man, I just, I could not get into it. I just, yeah, I'm just not into it. So you can check that out. Uh, Spider-Man issue 12. I'm really digging this because of Hobgoblin connection. Uh, you know, so we have Ned Leeds back, uh, clone of Ned Leeds, whatever. Uh, we have Norman Osborn, who's been cleansed of his evilness. And we have Roderick Kingsley there. But then it's like, who is the hobgoblin and what's going on? And I don't want to say anything more, but this was just really good. So you should uh, definitely, if you haven't read last issue, issue 11, because it was good. Iron Cat issue five. Uh, I Even though it's Jed McKay, I love, I've been digging all the Jed McKay. I've been loving his, his black uh, cat books. But this one, it, it just, it wasn't quite at the same level for me. So this is the last last issue, but there's you know a lot of fun moments and it, you know just the idea of Iron Cat. I mean it's 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 fun, but yeah, you have that uh, Moon Knight Annual. This was this was okay. Um, I don't know if it spoils it in a synopsis or it does in a preview. So you know we have Jack Russell, you know, Werewolf by Night, and. He has done something. So yeah, it doesn't mention it in the synopsis, but like I said, there's a huge spoiler in the previews. Um, we have the return of of someone, a couple of people, but basically, someone close to Moon Knight, you could say, has been kidnapped by Jack Russell and some other werewolves because they're saying that certain things shouldn't exist. And I don't want to spoil anything like that. But so, it, this was this was by Jed McKay. Also, I wasn't super crazy about the issue. So, we'll we'll see. New Mutants issue thirty one. I didn't like this. I did not like this. So it's just a, a lot of these young characters, and and I th- I feel like just some of them have like attitudes where they don't appreciate like the history of mutants and X Men and Krakoa, like what's going on, but. 
Yeah, just uh, some of them. I I don't. I just I'm not into these characters. So that was was a hard one. And then Strange issue seven. I am enjoying this book. So Clea as a Sorcerer Supreme since uh, Stephen died. So she's uh, having some words with Harvest Man. Harvest Man. There's a, who is this Harvest Man? What is his deal? And you know, we found something out last issue, which if you haven't been reading, I won't want to spoil that. I don't know where they're going to go with it. I'm not super crazy about that angle, but it definitely makes things interesting to see like what's going to happen. So um, yeah, th- there's there's some talk there and. I, this this is just a cool cool series. Then Strange Academy is back. Strange Academy Finals issue one. So this is Scotty Young and Humberto Ramos. So both of them are back, which is awesome. Uh, freshman year is almost over. From day one, people have been wondering who is the savior of Strange Academy and who can bring it all down. The future of Marvel Magic is going to be decided here, and will take a far more interesting. Sorcerer Supreme and his school if magic is to have a chance. So I've I've grown to like enjoy this this series. You know, in the beginning it was like I don't know who these kids are and I don't care. But you know, it, it was interesting and you know I, I like Scotty Young's writing and Humberto Ramos art's always fun. But man, things really got dark towards the end. Uh, there's one was it Calvin? Uh, I don't don't care for that character. But then Emily and you know it's not her fault, but she's just gotten a bit extreme with her, like her actions and like what's going on, and it's just it's it's kind of making it a little little tough. It's like wow, man, I don't I don't know. So I, I'm definitely going to see like what where this is going, like what's going to happen. But things are really getting getting kind of shaky for for the other characters and for the school. Thunderbolts issue three. So this. I'm not completely sold on this team, but I love Hawkeye, and you know we we have some some other interesting like this uh, other Iron Fist or not our Power Man character. I don't care so much about him. Uh, it's it's interesting that we have Clint and America Chavez since she's like best friends with Kate, but so we we have them. We have Monica Rambeau on the team, and uh, it's a uh, just the idea that this is more like a uh, not uh, like a government team and you know because they're having to do like press conferences and this and that and and so Hawkeye is, is trying to take leadership of a team and you know get them he's like just because we're all together doesn't make us a team because you know they actually have to train and and be comfortable with each other and stuff like that um, and then like the the last page is kind of interesting because you know he calls someone just to kind of talk about like what he's going through and, and how he's handling things so I thought that was kind of cool and it just add some new perspective on some things so you should check it out the variance issue four this is i i'm really into this series so this is gail simone and phil noto we have jessica jones but there's been all these variants of jessica that have arrived and it's like what's going on here part of the problem also is uh, this woman told uh jessica that purple man kilgrave put like a time bomb in her mind so it's like 10 years after whatever she's going to turn on her family and at first she's like no that can't be but then now what if it's true 
and you know so she her you know Luke and, and Danny are in danger so she's trying to figure out what's going on and then you know we, we find out a little bit more because uh, there is a fact that also when Jessica was with some of the variants you know she got a message like don't trust them so it's like wait does that mean something and so yeah there's some some interesting things there uh venom issue 12 i didn't even look at that i haven't been in, enjoying it lately wolverine 26 i decided not to read this just yet because of time so i was like okay sorry it's not gonna happen i have been okay with wolverine with this this volume of wolverine uh but this issue says the mark of the beast on defense or offense wolverine is krakoa's weapon but that doesn't mean he attacks where beast aims and McCoy's latest ask is going to set him on a startling and revolution revelatory path set to redefine his future. Perfect jumping on point for new readers and a culmination of story threads from the uh, start of this volume. No continuing reader can afford to miss. So, yeah, I guess I got to read it at some point. Then there is Exterminators issue two. I wasn't completely won over with the, the first issue, but this is... Uh, more so four deadly ex-women find themselves held captive and fighting for their lives and more importantly fighting to get revenge on the bleep dead man who did this to them so yeah i i didn't get to read that one either maybe i will um and maybe you will uh, so let me know um and with that oh there's also x-men legends i didn't read that and nocenti it's a, a mo the reason i didn't read it is a mojo world can the X-Men survive Mojo World? It's a long shot. So Anna Senti returns to her co-creation with an all-new story set after the original long shot miniseries. Longshot's adventures on Earth may be over, but before he can continue his mission, he's pulled into Mojo World for a multi-picture deal he simply can't refuse. So it's just like, I'm just, I'm not a big Mojo fan. I, I just feel like it's too, and Mojo World is just, it, it's just, it's not my thing. So I didn't read it. Maybe someday I will. I don't, I don't know, but I didn't. So that's going to be comics for the week. All right. With uh, House of the Dragon, season one, episode 10, The Black Queen. So this is the uh, pretty crazy season finale. Yeah, kind of crazy. So it starts off, Rhaenyra finds Luke and he says, the sea snake's going to die, isn't he? And she starts to, you know, say his name. He's like, I can't be Lord of Tithes. Grandsire was, was the greatest sailor who ever lived. I get, you know, he seasick or something like that. Green, you know, just before the, the ship even leaves the harbor. He's like, I'll just ruin everything. He's like, I don't want Driftmark. He's like, I, it should have passed a surveyman. Rhaenyra says that, you know, we don't choose our destiny. It chooses us. And she says that, you know, Grandsire left her to choose whether or not to be his heir. And she's like, yeah, here he's like, yeah, you told us. And she says, the truth was she was frightened just as he is now. She says she wasn't ready to be queen of the seven kingdoms, but it was her duty. In time, she came to understand that she had had to earn her inheritance. He's like, but I'm not like you. So perfect. And Rainier just like kisses his cheek. She's like, I'm anything but. She said her father helped her oversee her duties. Um, his mother, Luke's mother, her, will do the same for him. Then this knight, Sword Laurent, whatever comes in, he says that Princess Rhaenys has arrived on Dragonback, and she urgently requests an audience with her and Prince Damon. So Rhaenys, she gets like right to it. She's like, Viserys is dead. And Rhaenyra is like silent. 
Damon like slowly turns around because you know he was just like he was like whatever being too cool for school and not really paying attention. Rainy says that she grieves the loss with her because her cousin Rainier's father possessed a kind heart. But then she's like, there's more. Aegon has been crowned as a successor. So this kind of surprises Rainier. Damon asks, how did Viserys die? Rainy says that she cannot say. And Rainier is like, how long ago? And Rainy says it was a day or two ago, but she was made a prisoner in her quarters while the queen made her preparations. Damon says that Viserys has been slain. Rhaenyra says, and with her eyes, you know, her eyes are getting a little teary. She's like, Allison demanded you declare for Aegon. And Rhaenys is like, she did. And there was like a pause. And then she's like, I refused her. Damon says, and yet you are alive. She says that the high septon crowned Aegon in the dragon pit. And she witnessed it herself just before she fled on Maylees, her dragon. She's like, this is... You know, when, when this is, she said this, it's kind of like a punch in the gut for Rhaenyra because she's like, they crowned him before the masses. And then it's like, so the masses would see him as a rightful king. Damon's like, that whore of a queen murdered my brother and stole his throne, and you could have burned them all for it. But Rhaenys says, a war is likely to be fought over this treachery, to be sure. But that war is not mine to begin. I only rushed this warning to you out of loyalty to my husband and to my house. The greens are coming for you, Rainier, and for your children. You should leave Dragonstone at once. And then Rainier starts to have like pain in her stomach. She lifts her dress, and then there's some blood. The, the baby's coming. So the doctor, Maester, whatever, says that her term is not complete. The babe shouldn't be coming. And she's like, it is coming. <laughs> Damon talks his men. He wants patrols along the shore for any small ships that might be coming. If the Greens attack now, it will be by stealth, not directly. They don't have enough men to surround the island, but they can make themselves appear stronger than they are. And then he's like, conscript the Dragon Keepers. They're capable f fighters. He's like, waste no time. Jason and Luke are like practicing swords on the beach. Then Rhaenys tells them that their mother would like to see them both. Rhaenyra is still in labor. She's like, you know, standing. She's trying to, you know, whatever. Um, and just get 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 things going, I guess. <laughs> she tells them as they come in, you know, she's just like in pain, just like leaning against like a pillar or whatever. She says that their grandsire has passed. The Greens have repudiated the succession and claimed the Iron Throne. Aegon has been crowned king. Jace asks, what's to be done about it? And she says, nothing yet. And then he asks, well, where's Damon? And, you know, and she says that she doesn't know. Gone to madness, gone to plot his war. Jace starts to dart off and then she calls out to Jace and she's like, whatever claims fall on her now, he is now her heir. She's like, not is to be done, but by my command. So Damon is told that a raven was sent. The sea snake's fever has broken and he has left Evenfall. It's not clear where he's sailing to because they don't know like what, what side he's, you know, who's, who's, whose side is he going to choose. Damon wants to send ravens to their nearest ally. Um, like Lords Darkly, Macy, and Bart's, or whatever, some other. Damon says that he'll fly to River, Riverland himself to affirm Lord Tully's support. Jace comes in. He he comes in and says that he'll do no such thing. His mother has decreed no action to be taken while she's abed. Damon like pauses because he's like, hmm. Then he says, "It's good you're here, young prince. You're you need to patrol the skies on Vermax." Then he just repeats, like, did you hear what I said? Damon has Jace come with him to learn a thing about loyalty. So Damon takes a couple uh, night guards, 
they they say that they you know, he says that they swore an oath to the king. He asks about their loyalty. One knight says that he swore to King Jaharis and then to his grace King Versaris or Vers- Versaris. Vers- Vers- Man, these names are killing me. When he su- succeeded him, Damon asks if he acknowledges the true line of succession. He's like, "Yes, my prince." Do you recall who King Viserys named as his heir before his death? Then the other knight says, "Princess Rhaenyra," and Damon nods. He says that he's grateful for their long service to the crown. So I'm presenting you with a choice. And then this dragon like comes up like over you know little little how how hill from behind. He's like, "Swear anew your oath to Rhaenyra as your queen to Prince Jaehaerys." Or Jack Jacaris, Jace Jacaris, these names. Um, swear your oath to Rainier, your queen, to Prince Jacaris as an heir to the Iron Throne. Or if you support the usurper, speak it now and you'll have a, queen, a clean and honorable death. But if you choose treachery, if you swear fealty now only to later turn your cloaks, know that you'll die screaming. And Rainier is screaming at the same time. Handmaidens are asking, like, oh, can we help? What, what, you know, and she's like, no. And she keeps getting, like, flashes of her dragon. So I don't know. Is there, like, a psychic connection? I don't know. Then there's, like, whoosh, like, blood, whatever. I don't know. Water brain, whatever. And then she just, she's pulls in. She just pulls a baby out, like, with her hands. And then, then she, like, it plops down on the floor. And then she, like, slowly picks up the unmoving body. So her baby died. It was too early. So this is all Allison's fault. Let's just say that she she the stress of, of the news and you know fearing about her dad and the, the throne. So Rainier wraps up the baby herself for the ceremony. You know during due to the, the funeral thing, Damon's like walking along the cliffside. Then there's a funeral. They're all there. Uh, this knight comes and he's like, I mean, no no harm. I think it was Eric with an A because the two twin brothers, whatever. So he pulls out. He has a pouch. He has Viserys's crown. He kneels. He's like, I swear to the queen with all my my toward or something like that, with all my my strength to give my blood for hers. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall guard her secrets, obey her commands, ride at her side, and defend her name and honor. Damon stares at the crown. Then he, you know, he because he's then he's like holding it. Then he puts it on. Rhaenyra's head and he kneels he's like my queen and everyone else kneels like her kids and Damon's girls and everyone there you know it was it was kind of kind of touching uh, for some silly reason and this so one of the things and I'll talk more about this at the end it's it's weird because with this show with the time jumps and just the aggressive storytelling you know just the way they're just zipping through the, the timeline or whatever I feel like we don't really have that much of connection at you know, at least with with Rhaenyra, we've sort of seen her grow from, from you know a, a child to an adult, and you know now she is finally the queen, and and it's just it's weird how how fast it's it's, it's happening, and if this would have played out longer, you know, if we would have seen her as as a younger child, because we had like what two two time jumps, but anyways, it, so it she's it was nice to see everyone acknowledge it, that she was the queen. So then we see this, there's big black table, you know, there's several candles and stuff that are lit, that's placed like under it and it kind of lights up this big map on her. So it's, it's kind of cool the way, the way it looks. Rhaenyra walks in and Damon introduces her as Queen Rhaenyra, first of her name, blah, 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 all this stuff like that. Then he's like, your grace. There's several others in the room and then um, Rhaenyra 
uh, Raina, her her stepdaughter, I think, gives her like some wine order and she she takes it. And then they all look to her. So she's because, you know, now she's on duty. Like, you know, so they're looking to her for to tell them, you know, what what's up. So she asks what their their standing is, and Damon says they have thirty knights, a hundred crossbowmen, and three hundred men at arms. So Dragonstone is relatively easy to defend, but as an instrument of conquest, it, their army leaves a lot to be desired. He sent word to his loyal men in the city watch, so he'll have some support there, but he cannot speak to the numbers. And they already mentioned that, like, that basically those who are still loyal, I think they like locked them up or something like that. Uh, another dude says that they already have declarations from five places. They talk of some other places, and then some will have to be spoken to or reminded. So Rainier asks Rainice what news she has, um, and she says that Lord Cor- Corlys is sailing to Driftmark to declare for his queen, for her. Rainice says that the Valaran fleet is in her husband's yoke, and he decides where they sail. Then she asks what of their enemies. And Damon says that they have no friends among the Lannisters. Name sounds familiar. She says that, you know, without the Lannisters, they'll not likely find any allies. Um, I forgot if she says it's west or south of the Golden Tooth. I, I don't remember. And then he says that Riverland, the Riverlands are essential. So there's something about the Riverlands. I don't know what, what that means. If, if it's something that was mentioned earlier in the season or whatever, because... Well, he mentions it again, and then she kind of, like, gives him a look. So it's like she doesn't want him to go, or I don't know. Then this one dude said all his talk of men is moot. You know, they have a power not seen since the days of old Valaria, the dragons. So Rhaenyra says that the greens have three dragons as well. And, you know, Damon says that they have three adults, and by his count, they so they have Syrax, Caraxes, and Melees. Rhaenyra's sons have Vermax, Arax, and Tyraxes, and then uh, Bela has Moondancer. And R- Rhaenyra says that none of their dragons have been to war, so you know they're not, they don't really have the experience. He says that, well, there are still unclaimed dragons, and there's wild dragons. He also has a, a score of eggs incubating. And then one night dude tells Rhaenyra that a ship has been sighted offshore. There's a lone galleon flying a banner of a three-headed green dragon. So Damon says, alert the watchtowers and, you know, sight the skies or something like that, you know, see who's coming. And then he leaves the room. So it's actually Otto. He walks up that like a pathway when when they first like went to talk to, to Damon. And, you know, he has some knights with him. He says that he comes at the behest of the, what did he say? Of whatever, the, the Queen Allison, mother of King Aegon, second of his name, Lord uh, and Protector of the Seven Kingdoms, whatever, says that he's been directed to deliver um, the Queen's message only to Princess Rhaenyra. And then he asks, you know, where is the princess? This dragon flies up, Rhaenyra's on it, flies around, you know, for a bit, and, you know, knights are kind of getting a little worried. And then it lands behind them on, on the path. So Damon and his his knights, or whatever, are in the front, and Rhaenyra is in the back. The, the dragon roars. She gets off, walks down, walks past the knights, past Otto, and she, you know, to Damon's side. And Otto's like, Princess Rhaenyra. She corrects him. I'm Queen Rhaenyra now, and you are all traitors to the realm. He's like, Queen Aegon, Targaryen, second of his name, and his wisdom and desire for peace is offering 
terms. So basically, he says, you know, acknowledge Aegon as king and swear obeisance before the Iron Throne. In exchange, his grace will confirm her possession of Dragonstone. It will pass to your trueborn son, Jacaris, upon your death. Lucerus will be confirmed as a legitimate heir to Driftmark and all the, the lands and holdings of House Valerian. Your sons by Prince Daemon will also be given places of high honor at court. Aegon the Younger um, at, will, will serve as a king's squire. Uh, Viserys will be his cupbearer. And then finally, the king, in his good grace, will pardon any knight or lord who conspired against his ascent. Damon's like, I would rather feed my sons to the dragons than have them carry shields and cups for your drunken usurper. <laughs> um, he says a word that I will not say. They can say it in, in Britain, whatever. Your usurper C of a king. So it's like he calls him a runt, but that's not what he called him. Otto says that Aegon Targaryen sits on the Iron Throne. He wears a conqueror's crown. He wields a conqueror's sword. He has a conqueror's name. He was anointed by a sutton of faith before the eyes of thousand. Every symbol of legitimacy belongs to him. And then there is Stark, Tully, Baratheon, houses that have also received and are present considering generous terms from their king. So basically, like the king's like, oh, we'll, we'll give you a bunch of like goodies if, if you like swear loyalty to us. Rhaenyra says that Stark, Tully, and Baratheon all swore to her when King Viserys named her as his heir. Otto's like, stale oaths will not put you on the Iron Throne, princess. The succession changed the day your father sired a son. He only regrets that the king and she were the last to see the truth of it. So it's like, oh, you're such a poop head. Rhaenyra walks up to him, pulls off this pin. She like flings it off the side. She's like, you are no more to hand than Aegon is a king. And, and it's like fudging traitors. And then uh, the knights with him kind of put their hands on their hilts, like getting ready to attack. Otto's like, Grand Maester. And then he gives something to Otto, who gives it to Rhaenyra. It's a page torn from the book that she re was reading when she was younger. With a, I think it was like in a second episode, like her and Allison. Queen Allison has not forgotten the love you once had for each other. No blood need be spilled so the realm can carry on in peace. She awaits your answer. Damon says she can have her, <laughs> she can have her answer now, stuffed in her father's mouth along with his withered ding dong. <laughs> so he wants to end his he called him a mummer or something like that he wants to end his mummer's farce and he draws his sword everyone draws theirs and then Damon tells Sir Eric to bring him uh, Lord Hightower so that he may take the pleasure himself then Rhaenyra's dragon roars and she's like no and then Damon just kind of puts his, the, like the, the tip of the sword down on the ground and just kind of like puts his hand on top of it. So Rhaenyra says King's Landing will have her answer on the morrow. And then she walks away and then Dragon like flies up. So they're standing at the map table again. And then Damon says that it's no easy thing for a man to kill a dragon, but dragons can kill dragons and have. So the, the simple truth is they have more dragons than Aegon, um, Rhaenys says Corlys spoke of history, like you know, she's he was always going on about it, so she knows it well. Uh, when dragons flew to war, everything burned, and Rhaenyra is like, I do not wish to rule over a kingdom of ash and bone. 
So it's like, is she considering the terms? And she says that as queen, what is her true duty to the realm? Ensuring peace and unity? Or is it uh, you know, to sit on the Iron Throne no matter the cost? So Damon says, that's your father talking. And she says that, well, my father's dead. He chose me as a successor to defend the realm, not to cast it headlong into war. Damon's like, well, the enemy has declared war. It's like, what are you going to do about it? And then she's like, clear the room. So she asks Damon if the promise of war excites him. And he says that, you know, she cannot bend the knee to the high towers. They stole her birthright. And she asks if he could take the Iron Throne without putting Otto Hightower's head on a spike, would he take it? And he's like, you're not angry? And she says it's her duty to crush a rebellion. And she's like, you know, my oath reaches beyond our, our personal ambitions. A song of ice and fire. And Damon looks at her. He's like, what? And she's like, the coming war from the north, the conqueror's dream. She's like, Viserys you know, shared it with me when he named me his heir and Damon. And so he, you know, he doesn't know basically what he's talking about, but then he like, grabs her by the throat, which is like, dude. And he's like, my brother was a slave to his omens importance. Anything to make his feckless reign appear to have a purpose. Dreams didn't make us Kings dragons did. But then it's like, as he's looking at her, they're close. It's almost like, does he want to kiss her or does he want to keep strangling her? Whatever. Because then, you know, he like, let's go. And she like stares at him. And then she's like, he never told you, did he? And Damon just like looks at, looks away and he leaves. So he doesn't know anything about that whole story that, that Viserys told her. So Coralise lies in bed. He's like sweaty. Um, Rhaenys is by his side. And she's like, you abandoned me when I needed you most. It's like both our children were stolen from, from us. And, you know, then she's like, you know, the grandkids needed him. And he says that he had no place else to turn. And she's like, they lost everything. And then he says that he understands that they have a new king now. And she's like, yeah, and also your brother is dead. So Coralise tries sitting up at that. So she's like, in, in his haste to take Coralise's seat, he stood before the king and denounced Lanier's sons as illegitimate. And, and, and she's like, and Damon took his head for it. So Coralise is like, heedless ambition has always been a Valerian weakness. So he says that, you know, she was right. He reached too far and for nothing. Their pursuit of the Iron Throne is at an end. So they'll just retire to enjoy their grandchildren. And she's like, Jace, Luke, and Joff are claimants to the throne. Those boys will not be safe so long as Aegon is king. And he says that, you know, Rainier was complicit in their son's death. He's like, that girl destroys everything she touches. And she, Rainier says, that girl is holding the realm together at present. Every man standing around the painted table urges her to plunge the realm into war. Rhaenyra is the only one who's demonstrated restraint. She's got a point there. So then Rainier is sitting, men are talking about what they should do, this and that, whatever. Then Corley centers. So he's he's with Rainier. Rainier is like, oh, it's good to see you standing. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry to hear about your father. He was a good man. Uh, then the, the two girls, the, they come, they, they go stand by the, the boys because they're supposed to be betrothed. betrothed. <laughs> so then Corley's like, where's Damon? And Rainier says that, you know, there were other concerns which demanded his attention. He starts looking over the table because they have it like mapped out, like who are their allies and, and so forth like that. He, he says that, that too few to win the war 
for the throne, she says that they hope to have a, a couple others. And he's like, hope is a fool's ally. She says that, you know, a, a couple places share blood with her and they swore an oath to her. Corley says that the high tower swore an oath to her as well. And she's like, as did you. And he looks at his kids and then he says to Rhaenyra, your father's realm was one of justice and honor. It's like our houses are bond by common blood and common cause. This high tower treason cannot stand. So he says that she has the full support of their fleet and house, your grace. So he bows to her and she's like, you honor me. And then Renice, I think it was Renice smiles. And then she says that, you know, but she made a promise to her father to keep the realm united. So the, the first blow will not come from her. She needs to know who her allies are. Corley says that the consequence of his near demise at the Stepstones is that they're now in control of them. So he took care to f- full to have a full full garrison at the territory at this time. So a total blockade of the shipping lanes will be in place in days, if not already. So the narrow sea is theirs. So they can cut off all like seaborne trade to King's Landing. So that's all cri- crippled, you know, the, the castle and everything. Then Rainey says that she'll take her dragon and patrol herself. Rhaenyra says that they'll need more men to surround King's Landing, so needed to find out about a couple of places. So some dude's like, oh, we'll prepare the ravens. And then one of her kids, I forget, I cannot keep track of who's Jason, who's Luke. They're like, we should go. You know, we can go faster by dragon and be more convincing. So she's like, okay. She's like, Jace will fly north, Luke will fly south. And they need to be reminded of the oaths they swore and the cost of breaking them. So then she tells her kids, you know, later that if they go, they go as messengers, not warriors. So to take no part in any fighting. And she's like, swear it now on this big book of seven something, whatever. I don't forget what it's called. So they both put, you know, separately, they, they swear. Damon's walking through like some dark passages with like a torch and he's like singing. Then he puts like the torch down, this dragon like shoots fire at, at the, like the top of the room, the cavern, whatever. He keeps singing. And a dragon then like puts his face right up to his. So I don't know if the singing is way to bond or calm it or something. I I don't know. Luke arrives at his destination. There's some knights outside, and he sees like this big dragon there too. So he introduces himself with a message for Lord Boros from the Queen. He's uh he's taken inside. So Amond, when I Amond is already there, and he tells so uh Luke tells Boros that he brings a message from his mother, the Queen. Um, Burroughs says that yet earlier this day, he received an envoy from the king. So he's like, which is it, king or queen? He's like, the house of the dragon doesn't even know who rules it. So he asks for the message. He's handed a scroll. And I guess he can't read because then he asks for the, like, the maester. So he like l- opens it, looks at it. Then he whispers in like Burroughs' ear. So he says, remind me of my father's oath. And King Aegon at least came with, with an offer. And he's like, you know, my sword and banners for a marriage pact. He's like, if I do as your mother bids, which one of my daughters will you wed, boy? And Luke's like, my lord, I am not free to marry. I am already betrothed. So you come with empty hands? Go home, pup, and tell your mother that the Lord of Storm's End is not some dog that she can whistle up at need to set against her foes. And Luke's like, I shall take your answer to the queen, my lord. And Eamon, he's just like silent because he's in, in a room. And he's I think he's kind of smirking a little. And then Luke turns and then Eamon's like, wait, my lord strong. Because that's his real dad's name or supposed real dad's name. 
Did you really think that you could just fly about the realm trying to steal my brother's drone at no cost? Luke's like, I will not fight you. I came as a messenger, not a warrior. And Eamon's like, fight would be a little challenge. No, I want you to put out your eye. And he like takes off his eye patch as payment for mine. One will serve. And he tosses like a dagger at his feet. And he's like, I won't blind you, but I plan on making it a gift for my mother. And Luke's like, no. Then you are craven as well as a traitor. And then uh, Boros is like, not here. And Eamon yells, give me your eye or I'll take it, bastard. And Luke draws his sword. Boros is like, not in my hall. It's like, the boy came as an, an envoy. I'll not have bloodshed beneath my roof. So then he tells his men, take Prince Lucerus back to his dragon. So Luke goes to his dragon. He like talks to it, tells it to focus. He's like, fly. And it's like raining now. And then there's like lightning. So um, this is probably the point in the episode where you know something bad is going to happen. Because, you know, things are always just like moving along. It's like, okay, set stuff up, set stuff up. And then whoosh, big crack. So there's lots of clouds. Luke's like looking back and then giant humongous dragon flies overhead in, in the clouds. And it's like, it's like, did he see it? And then it's like right in front of him and Eamon's like laughing. So then they, they fly and they're behind Luke now. Eamon's dragon is, is chomping at them and as, as they're flying. Luke flies like between like some some cliffs and rocks or whatever. Eamon has to pull up because it's too big to, to fly between there. He's not really laughing now. He yells out, you owe a debt, boy. Then Luke comes at him and like breathes fire at Eamon's dragon. And then he's like, serve me. And he like flies until he reaches the end of the storm. So I don't know if like the fire or something, some way to try, he's trying to control Eamon's um, dragon. He's reached the end of the storm. There's like clouds and sun, or blue skies, and there's like that. And then Eamon comes up and his dragon chomp, chomps Luke and his dragon. And Eamon's like, no. He's like, to his dragon, he's like, no, no. And then like, pieces of the dragon fall. And then Eamon has this, like, oh, crap, look on his face. So uh, Luke, he's he's done. <laughs> and I, I actually, like, I was like, wait a minute. I watched it again, and he's done for it. There's there's no, even if, if he survived, he he fell. Like, how, who knows how, how far. But the, the crazy thing is, this is what I was saying earlier. So this kid's dead? The print, Who is he? I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you his name until the Boros is like, Prince Lucerus, you know, he'll be free to go. <sighs> but the, this is not, not good. So Damon walks into the map room. He goes up to Rhaenyra he, and then takes her hand and, like, guides her away from the table, you know, like, by the fireplace. And then, you know, she walks up to it and she, like, bows her head because her son is dead. She turns around and she is pissed off. And there's, like, a single tear. So uh, I guess they're going to war. She said she wasn't going to do anything till it was the first blow. May have been an accident. Eamon is being a dum-dum. It, it's just the first blow. And that is the end of the season. So it's just like, oh, goodness. Uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was crazy. But I do think the fact that they, how I mean, how many years, like 20 years, whatever, this time jump, so I feel like we have no connection to the characters versus, and I'm not saying that this should be like a 10 season just to get this this far, but do it a little more gradually instead of like these big, huge jumps because the fact that this kid's dead, okay, sorry, dude, but I don't even know who you are unless someone says something. 
but yeah, so I I, en- I enjoyed the season. It, it was a uh, that that was that was pretty crazy. Okay, then the patient, season one, episode ten, the Cantor's husband. So, is this the end of the season or is this the end of the series? Let's talk about that at the end. It starts off. Cal um, Allen calls out the Candace. He's like, "Get down here now!" So he's like, "Sam just left to kill his father." And she's like, what did you say to him? And it's like, give me a break. Come on, lady. Alan said that uh, Sam decided killing his father would make him better. And then she's like, would it? And Alan's like, no, I don't think so. And she's like, are you you sure it won't work? So he says he understands that the man was brutal to her. And, you know, she says that, you know, she's supposed to. So, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to care what happens to him. And Alan's like, yeah, a, a little. So Sam rings the bell at his, at his dad's. And then he's like, can I come in? And his dad just kind of like steps aside without saying a word and he comes in. So he, as he walks in, he's like, are you hungry? And his his dad doesn't look like a, like you couldn't tell that he was, you know, a, a mean guy, that he was a piece of crap, you know, beating his wife or his kid. He just looks like a, you know, almost normal guy, I guess. So Alan's like walking around on his chain. Then Candace brings him down something to drink. And she says that. She's been in this position many times that there's nothing to do. She, you know, usually has a beer and just relaxes. And then she sits in Sam's lazy boy. So Sam's dad's like chopping some lettuce with like a huge knife. Then Sam asks to use the bathroom. So what is it with him in the bathroom? Because then he, like, he throws away, he because he's drinking so much coffee. Maybe they're saying that if you drink too much coffee, you become a serial killer. I don't know if that's a hidden meaning here because he, you know, throws his cup, cup, cup of coffee, empty cup in the trash, goes to the bathroom and then he pees like forever again. Candace says that, you know, Alan probably thinks that she's a monster too. She's like, I'm not. She's like, she's just like anybody else. She says that when he's out, like now she's so scared for him. She's so sad for the life that he's living uh, and like the families that the people, you know, that he does this to. She makes up stories about them. like these poor men. And Alan's like, but you won't call the police. You know, you won't save th- them from this. And she's like, I can't. She, she's like, I, I just, I can't. So Sam's dad made like a sandwich and, and like something. Or I don't know if it was chips or a salad or something. And then Sam's just like straight up. She's like, why did you used to beat me so much when, when I was a kid? And his dad sighs. He's like, I don't know. And Sam's like, well, how did you make, make you feel when you, and he's like, what? When you used to hit me all the time. He's like, how did it make you feel? And then he's like, I don't know, bad, I guess. He's like, you're a weird kid. You couldn't follow rules. Couldn't play games. You didn't have friends. Your mother's reading books telling me it was my fault that you were like that. And he's like, anyways, I'm sorry. And Sam looks at him and he like stands up and he like pushes him over on his chair, like chair tips over, he gets down on top of him. And he starts like strangling him. And Sam's like, you know, he's like staring at him in his face. His dad's like, you know, getting choked out and dying. And then he stops. Then his dad's like, <gasps> He gets his breath back and he's like, my therapist said not to kill you. And then he's back home. He's like, and then I left. So, you know, he's with with Alan. And I was like, how do you feel? He's like, I was choking him and I could feel him disappearing. And I stopped. It's like, it was like, I didn't want to. And Alan's like, why not? I, I don't know. I mean, he said he was sorry, but fudge him, right? I, I just, I hate him so much. And usually that feeling, it makes me want to go ahead and, I was on top of him and I hated him, but this time that feeling made me not want to. And Alan's just like, hmm. And then he's like, do you know why I didn't do it? And Alan's like, what was different with your father and everyone you've hurt? I don't know. Then he's like, what's the obvious difference? And Sam's like, he hurt me the most. 
And Alan's like, good, what else? What's the most obvious difference? He's my father? Right, Sam, you are on top of him, the one who treated you like this. If you killed him, you'd be doing it too, just like him. You're trying to be different, get rid of that that part. You're trying to confront your father, but you didn't need to kill him. You needed to not kill him. He's like, this is it, Sam. It's a major breakthrough. Even if you're not quite feeling it yet, not killing your father is, you, you wanted to change. He's like, look at you, you've changed. How does it feel? He's like, okay, I guess. He's like, it's everything we've been working towards. It's extraordinary. And Sam kind of like smiles. And then he like whispers like, thanks. Deep breaths, exhales and stuff like that. And Sam's like, I'm going to go get some dinner. He's like, is there anything particular you, you want? And I was like, I, I'm not really hungry right now. And then you know he's about to leave. He's like, um, Sam, it's, it's time to let me go home. He's like, you're ready. He's like, and I need to get back to my family. He's like, sometimes therapists talk with their patients about their own lives because, well, you know, we're all human beings. You know, we're all struggling, every last one of us. He's like, so I want you to understand a few things about me. You have been struggling with your father and just had a big breakthrough. He's like, I'm in the middle of a struggle with my son too. And I need to get back to him for our breakthrough. I did a lot of damage to my son too. I know it's not the same as what your father did. But Sam, people don't deserve to die for falling short. He's like, we're all broken vessels. He's like, I need to get back to my son. I want you to come see me in my office every day at first, but pretty soon we can go to three days a week. He's like, I have enormous faith in you. He's like, I also want to address your completely understandable concern. I assume that if you let me go, I'll turn you in. He's like, as a therapist, I have a legal and ethical obligation to keep your confidence, including any um, crimes that you may have committed in the past. It only gets thorny if you're clearly going to kill somebody. And if at some point in future you have an overwhelming urge to kill again and you don't think you'll be able to control it, that will be the moment for us to find a therapeutic institution for you. He's like, but I don't see that happening. I think that by not killing your father, you have demonstrated great progress and likely permanent change. I'm really proud of you. So he says he's proud of the progress he's made and he's he's sure that he's going to continue to be making progress. At night, Sam's lying in bed and Alan's sitting up. He's like looking over at Sam's door. And then in the morning, Sam has breakfast with his mom. He gets up without saying a word, leaves for work. Alan's just staring at his breakfast. And then uh, later a car approaches. Sam has uh, something in his truck and Alan sees him wheeling like a, a sofa or like a you know a little chair on a dolly. At first, I'm like, is this from Alan's or whatever? He pushes in the basement, like, parallel to the bed. And he's like, I'll be right back. And Alan just, like, closes his eyes. And Sam, like, grunts or whatever. He brings in, like, a mini fridge. Closes the door. He's like, I get what you've been saying. I've been rushing you because I, I want to get better. But therapy takes time. Years, you said, sometimes. So I'll get a TV and I can stock the fridge with anything you want. And then he just walks upstairs. So Alan talks to Charlie, his dead therapist. He says that he's surprised that anyone who gets beaten like that doesn't become a serial killer. He's like, why wouldn't they after suffering like that? So Alan is kind of surprised that Sam managed to not kill his father. And Charlie says that they know this story. He needs a replacement father. That's why he wants to keep Alan there for the next 10 years. So he intuitively knows he needs to do it again to relieve, to relive his life with like a different model. And Alan's like, well, I'm not spending the next 10 years down here. So, Alan turns on his light, grabs his notepad. He starts writing, like several pages, writing, writing, writing. Then Alan gets up, calls Sam to come out. He's like, please, motions for him to sit. He, he doesn't think he said what he really needed to say. 
he said it's been a, a problem down here for him to know exactly how to communicate with him. You, you know, he has something to say that may be difficult to hear. That is part of the process, though. He's like honestly sharing the truth, even if it's hard. So he says Sam brought him down here and asked him to treat him, which he did. He's like, and I can't do it anymore. I've done the most that I can, and I'm telling you, in my professional opinion, for you to get better, you need to be physically stopped from acting out your compulsion. Being physically prevented from hurting anyone else is what will give you the freedom to actually heal your heart and your mind. It's what will give you the space to heal what your father did to you. That kind of pain never heals entirely, but you can do enough of it to allow you to live a better life. He says that he has so much respect for what he's trying to do. It's very brave. He thinks all people, you know, feeling like him. He stands out as, you know, someone trying the most. He's like, and it's time to turn yourself in. He's like, call the police, turn yourself in. He's like, I, I now know apart from anything that you do with me, this is the only way for you. He's like, our therapy is over. You need to make a choice. He's like, I'm making one too. You have to make one. He's like, my choice is that I'm not doing therapy with you anymore. Your choice, you can turn yourself in or you can end this the other way. And Sam's like, I don't want to do that, either one. And Alan's like, I know, but it's time. He's like, I'm not going to live down here like a pet. And Sam's like, he he gets up and he goes to his room. And he, he closes the door kind of loudly. Then he comes out with a jacket and keys. And he goes outside. In the morning... Sam sitting across the street from the police station in his car. So he's like, you know, is he going to go turn himself in? Alan hears a truck pulls up. Sam goes upstairs, sits in a, in a table while his mom makes him a meal. And he just like stares at her. Candace brings Alan down some food. He says, thank you. And then she says that she knows he wants to go home, but Sam's not ready. And Alan's like, you know, he tells her, he's like, this needs to end now. He's like, this is going to be hard to hear. But it's all in, you know, your, our best interest. When he was a boy and his father's abusing him, you didn't take any step to stop it. And he's like, you didn't leave or get help. And he's like, it wasn't your fault. You didn't know what to do, but you didn't protect him. And her eyes are like start tearing up. And he he grabs like a box of tissues and hand hands it to her. When she reaches, he grabs her and he puts a sharp tube to her neck and he calls out to Sam. He's like. I'm sorry to be in this position. He's like, I don't want to be doing this. He's like, I care about you, Sam. I really do. And he yells at him to stop. But then when he moves down the stairs, he's like, but I will kill her if you don't call the police. He's like, do it, Sam, or I will cut her throat. And he's like, you know, call 911. And Sam tells mom, he's like, he's just bluffing. You know, he just wants to get out of here. And Alan's like, I'm not. He's like, I, and he's like, I don't believe you. He's like, so and then they're like talking over each other. And Sam yells, he's like, you said we shouldn't interrupt each other here. He's like, we let each other finish. He's like, you said I was getting better. I believed you. And Alan says that he told him last night that he cannot get better unless he stopped from acting out his compulsions. He's like, that's the only way out for him. He's like, this is the only way out for me. He's like, make your choice. He's like, I don't want to. He's like, then your mother's going to die and you'll kill me. Sam says, he's like, I don't think you're the kind of man that can even do that. And then he pushes a tube into, can into her neck and Candace starts screaming. And then there's like a high-pitched ringing. Um, Alan's like in the gas chamber and you know Beth's I think it was Beth like standing there then someone named Shava calls to him and so I think that's Ezra's uh, wife she, so he was like sitting up on a couch and he's like oh he was just having a bad dream so he's at his son's house Ezra smiles at him like kind of pats him on the shoulder then they're having dinner 
they start singing the Hebrew. So I guess he got out of it. There's like other people there. Um, and then I think his sister's there. And I don't know if it's her husband or whatever like that. There's other kids. And then he sees Charlie sitting next to Ezra. Then it cuts to Candace on the floor yelling at Sam to stop. He's on top of Alan strangling him. And she's like, cry. She's like, stop, stop, stop. And then, wait, he didn't stop? He gets up and he just stares at Alan's body. And he takes out the keys. He unlocks the chain on his leg. And then he drags the body into the back room. And mom's just sobbing. Then he drags Alan's body into the grave they dug. And he just sits looking at Alan. So Alan's dead. <laughs> That's it. He's dead. Sam walks out of the room. He gets a the toothpaste tube. There's like some, you know, it's red with some blood. Picks it up. Sees Alan's notepad. And then he, he sits on the bed and starts reading. So then it cuts to like Alan's house. Uh, his daughter, you know, goes in the front. She there's like a little mail basket uh, you know, off the side. So she just takes starts going through, you know, the mail, whatever. She's an envelope and she opens it. And there's a type letter, dear children of Doctor Strauss. I am writing to let you know the bad news that your dad is dead. He helped me a lot. I know from him that it's important for you Jews to have a body when someone dies. So I put it where you can find it. It's ten yards back in the trees by the northwest entrance to Finch Ridge Preserve. I am enclosing a letter he left for you. So then the, the notepad's there. Dear Shoshana and Ezra, I love you both so much. I'm sorry this happened to you, and I'm sorry it happened to me. But here we are. I want you to know I haven't suffered, and I've had a lot of time to think. You know I like to do that. The two of you gave my life and your mother's life meaning. All parents love their children, but no one loved their kids more than we did. You are extraordinary people. I want you both to go forward without my death defining your lives. I also want to make sure that some of the conflicts we had don't define how you remember our relationship either. He's like, Shoshana, you and I, you know, and your mother had our issues, but mostly it has been easy and full of caring. I thank you for that gift. You are the brightest, most extraordinary young woman I can imagine in these dark times. I've thought about you and your beautiful family constantly, and it has given me joy, pride, and solace. Ezra, so, you know, and she's like reading it, and she's like sobbing. And then Ezra, my dear son, you are a bright light in this world. We both know it hasn't been such smooth sailing between us. And your mother, I have spent a lot of time thinking back on everything that happened. And I see things now that I was unable to grasp when they were happening. I want you to know that I understand now everything you said to me. You were right, mostly. I was judgmental. I didn't accept you for who you were. And worst of all, I allowed your mother to take the blame for this when I was as much at fault as anyone. More, I want you to know that I see this and I'm sorry. Through it all, I always loved you. And I want you to know how very much I respect who you are and the choices you've made. You built a beautiful family and a beautiful life. You are so special and truly a wonderful person. And so, you know, it, it cut to like Shoshana went to Ezra and they're sitting on a couch and he's reading and he like drops a pad and he's like sobbing. She puts her head on his shoulder and her thing. So very sad. Then it, it goes to the basement. Sam walks in, turns on the light, thinks back to like talking with Alan. So a conversation they had. I think I really changed. The therapy worked and I'm not going to do it again. I'm never going to hurt anyone again. And Alan's like, that's not true. So I don't think this really happened. This might be in his head. And Alan's like, that's not true. You're going to do it again. We both know it. So then Sam takes off his jacket and he sits at the end of the bed. 
he calls, he's like, mom, can you come down here? He puts the chain cuff around his ankle. He locks it. She comes down and looks at him. He holds out his hand with the key. So she like takes his hand, holds it, and then takes the key. So then it cuts to Ezra talking to a therapist and he's like, oh yeah, you know, he's like, I didn't know your dad, but I, you know, I had colleagues who knew him or whatever. He's like, I read his book. And Ezra's like, he's like, yeah, I never read it. He's like, I, I think I, I'm about to get like a, a, a case of him or something like that. But then he's like, well, he asks Ezra, you know, how are you getting along? And he's like, you know, what happened was he's like, I'm just worried for my kids, my wife and my sister. And he's like, the, the doc's like, what about you? He's like, it's been hard, but I'm okay. And a doc asks, he's like, do you want to tell me a little bit uh, about yourself? And he's like, well, I don't really know where to start. And he's like, I, and then cut, fades to black. So uh, that's it. I mean, it, it's crazy. <laughs> I, I didn't think it would, I mean, there's always a possibility that, that Alan, you know, he was going to die. But I always thought that he's, like, he was going to have to kill Sam. And you know he's gonna have to live with the fact that he killed someone, he took someone's life in order to you know save himself. So it's uh pretty crazy. And um, so now, but what the heck's, How long is Sam gonna be locked down there? You know, how long is his mom gonna keep him locked up? So it was a uh, kind of dark, dark series. And um, yeah, so Steve Carell, man, that that was that was pretty nuts. And uh, the, overall, I would say, you know, it wasn't perfect series. Uh, but there was, there were some, some crazy moments and, uh, but also there's some parts that, that dragged a little bit, but man, that, that was, um, that was something. So that was a patient and you can watch it on Hulu if you haven't. <laughs> and, and, and if you've listened to all this and you just want to see it for yourself, you can. All right. Then Chucky season two, episode four, death on denial. And... I did not really care for this episode. Uh, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, I, I can appreciate it as, as far as moving the, the story forward, you know, and fleshing out characters especially. But that wasn't really about Chucky so much. And maybe that's okay to mix things up, but I don't know. And looking on IMDb, this episode is actually rated higher, and maybe it's still early. It's rated higher than the other three C episodes from this season. So maybe it's just me. So just, just keep that in mind. So it starts off. Chucky's on like on a set, like on a couch and he's, he's talking, he's like on a phone talking to his agent about his writer and all this stuff like that. And then the, the agent's like, Oh, you're live or whatever. And then bell, the, the therapist's other doll is like sitting in his chair. And then he's like, all right, do you want to spill any secrets? And it's, she's just a regular doll. She's not saying anything. And then he's like, tonight we're in for a treat. We're going to delve into family secrets. And then there's like one of those kind of old timey uh, like title card things. So it's like tonight's episode, Death on Denial, a Jennifer Tilly mystery. So it picks up where it was two episodes ago. She's cleaning the floor. There's all that blood. And you see like Glenn and Glenda have arrived and you just see like their their feet and their legs. So you don't see what, what they, they look like. The dead detective still in the pantry, which the door is not completely shut because she like looks over and you can totally see. So if they te- take like one step forward, they're going to see a dead body in there. And uh, Glenda is like, what are you doing on the floor? And and she's like, what is that? Is that blood? And, you know, so Jennifer Tilly, I guess she's Jennifer Tilly, not Tiffany here. But whatever, it's, it's I'm not 100 percent clear on that because 
since I haven't seen a couple, I haven't seen, I don't think I ever, I don't remember if I saw Bride of Chucky. I definitely didn't see Seed of Chucky. She's like, what is that blood? And she's like, no, it's corn syrup. And she says something like her agent told her to take more violent images or something like that. So she's like, act like she's going to take a selfie or something like that. And then she, we see their faces now. So Glenda has short hair and Glenn has long hair. So they're like twins. And so Glenn and Glenda, they, they go by they, them. And um, yeah, they, they both have like long nails and um, their, their outfit's kind of interesting. It's kind of like those sneakers with like the big heels. I don't even know what you'd call it. And like, anyways, <laughs> I'm getting uh, distracted or sidetracked. So she tells him, Jennifer Tully tells him to go into the living room. And then she she sits with them and she's like, oh, what's new? And she's like, are we dating anyone? And Glenda says that um, they're dating someone named Paul. And then Glenn, and she's like, well, Glenn, what about you? And Glenn's like, we're both dating Paul. And Jennifer Tully's like, oh, that sounds complicated. So then they, they ask if she's seeing him. And she's like, oh, no, I'm too busy. And she's like, you know, how's school? And Glenn's like, oh, it's, it's great. You know, we're, we're getting straight A's and we're making friends. And then they, they comment how mom's been in the house for the past year. You know, she hasn't gone out. And, you know, there's like a five-inch layer of dust over everything. And Glenda's like, you know, we've been talking, I think it was Paul, Paul the accountant or something like that. And she's like, you're running out of money. And then Tiffany, Jennifer, she's like, oh, no. It's like, we're doing fine. Then Glenda's like, who's Nika Pierce? And then she's like, looks, you know, pauses for a second. And she's like, what? So then it, uh, the title cards, because I think it was a commercial break. So title card, act one, Glenda poses an incommodious question. So they're having like dinner. Then Jennifer's like, yes, I, I did meet Nika. It was like at a charity dinner event or something like that. She's like, she seems so sad. And I barely knew her. But then I think she's like, but she got really clingy and all stuff like that. So then she's like, I installed a, a new security system, you know, just in case. So then one of them, they're like, you installed a security system just for one person or something like that. So then Glenn leaves to charge their phone, and then Glenda wants to talk. And, and, and Jennifer's like, what, are you pregnant? And she's like, no. Glenda says, you know, when they were little, did they ever hurt anyone? Because she, they have been having this dream or nightmare. There's this woman, a blonde, and she's screaming because she's on fire, and it feels like they're the one who, who did it. And then there's this other voice. So this is a flashback to, I'm assuming you see the Chucky. There's this other voice. He's nice and he's, in, he's like encouraging her and he calls her poop face, but not poop face. And Glenda's like, you know, there must be something, you know, some sort of drama. And, you know, cause she, they, they and Glenn never felt whole. So they just want to, you know, know why. So Glenn is at the bedroom door and the door's locked. So Glenn keeps trying to open it. Nika's inside bound and gagged. So then Glenn gets grabbed. So Jennifer and this dude are there. And Jennifer's like, this is Jeeves. He's going to help out tonight with the birthday. Because it's Glenn and Glenda's birthday. I don't remember if I said that. So Glenn's like, why is the door locked? And Jennifer's like, oh, all my shoes are in there. So as they walk into the other room, then Jennifer says you know, to Glenn, it's like, oh, you're too young to be suspicious. Like, not everything has to be an unpleasant surprise. Then in the living room, surprise. So Glenn says they wanted a surprise party, so they threw one themselves. So Joe Pantoliano's there, Gina Gershon, and Sutton Strake. Strake? I'm not sure who that is. So they're playing themselves because they're all friends with Jennifer Tilly. 
or coworker, or whatever. So Sutton asks that if if she's been avoiding her Jennifer, she's been avoiding her over poker debt. She's like, oh, I don't owe you any money. She's like, I've just been busy. And Gina's like, busy doing what? And Joe's like, you know, if, if it's okay, you know, if you've been holed up, if you let a face lift settled, and he's like, oh, it looks good. And she's like, gosh, you know, she kind of gets mad or whatever. Then Gina's like, you're, you're too busy to call. Then the doorbell rings, and it's Meg Tilly. So it's Jennifer Tilly's younger sister, I think. Commercial break, act two, murder, you say? So Glenn and Glenda drink some champagne with Meg, and they say, oh, it's great to finally meet you, Aunt Meg. You know, we're big fans. And so then Jennifer comes back. She's in this red gown, like fancy gown and tiara. And Meg's like, oh, is that your Oscar dress or something like that? So she tries talking to her. You know, she's like, you've been dodging me for 24 years. And Jennifer's like, oh, I forgive you. Let's move on. And Meg's like, I just want to know what I did. And, you know, she's like, ever since you did that stupid Chucky movie, you, you know, you haven't talked to me. And I think she ends up like defending the movie or something later. So Jeeves, this guy posing as Jeeves, whatever, he talks to Joe and he, you know, he, he's pretty rude about everything, but he, so he's basically implying that Joe is because he's Italian, that he must really be a mobster or have one in his family. And he's like, you know, saying all basically racist things or whatever, I guess it'd be racist. Right. And then he starts talking to Gina, asking her like, you know, if she's a method actor or what, and you know, he's just, you know, just kind of rude and everything. So then he starts cleaning up the dinner plates. Uh, Glenn and Glenda say, or he, to, to Glenn and Glenda, he, he goes to him. He's like, well, what are you two supposed to be? He's like, are you a boy? Are you a girl? And Glenda's like, excuse me, we're both nine binary. And, you know, it's like, we go by they, them. And she's like, yeah, but they, them has always been plural. And so he was just being rude and, and disrespectful, you know, like this. So everyone's really not liking this Jeeves guy. Then Jennifer pulls Jeeves back to guarding the door by the bedroom. When she returns to the living room, she no one's there. So she's like, where'd everyone go? And then uh, the lights go out and then the alarm goes off. So she looks at her phone. There's like an alarm app for the security thing. The, the room where Nika's in has been breached. So she goes back to the door. Jeeves is lying on the floor and there's like some blood coming out of his mouth. So inside the room, you know, she opens the door. Nika's not there. Nika's missing. And the alarm app says that the outside is secure. Then someone comes up to her, startles her. It's Meg. Then, then everyone start, meets out in the hall, and they're all kind of like shocked and surprised because Jeeves is dead. He's laying there. Then Jennifer's like, the first victim is the butler. So they're like, wait, is this like one of those murder mystery parties? And she's like, yeah. She's like, and I need to know who murdered Jeeves and who opened this bedroom door. So it's like, all of you are victim. And then she, there's a, so Jeeves grabbed the champagne bottle after he poured some for them. So then he, you know, took it to, to drink some. So she smells like, it. she's like, I smell arsenic in here. And uh, then let's like, gets them to all go back into the living room. And quietly she's like, Nika, Nika, where are you? Then we see like a shot from outside the house and there's like a window with like someone pushing a wheelchair. So we don't really, see, you can't really tell from the silhouette. Commercial. Act three, a plethora of suspects. So Jennifer decides she's going to lead to questioning, blah, blah, blah. Her alarm app goes off again. Jennifer goes to look, and then Gina, like, pops up behind her, and then um, they start talking, getting... So it seems like like Jennifer uh, or Gina Gershon is supposed to, like, have, have some feelings for her, you know, because they did whatever that one movie. And then, uh, so she ends up leaving, and then Joe comes in and tries like making a move on her and stuff like that. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what, what the point of that was. 
so we find out Glenn is with Nika, and they're in this room that supposedly Jennifer doesn't know about, and the, the app doesn't know, the alarm thing doesn't know. She says that, you know, but she, uh, so Glenn is like, the guy was already dead when I came to get you. You know, it was all working out with mom being distracted by the party and being drunk, and she got this new security system. So unfortunately, they can't just like walk out the back like they planned, but they can go through the basement be, or, or they can't go through the basement because they need power for the elevator. And then that's, you know, mentions like the, they're in this room. She's like, are you sure your mom doesn't know about this room? And Glenn's like, you know, me and me and Glenda found it when we were nine. And Nika's like, you know, I, I just, I can't go back. And Glenn promises that she's leaving the house tonight. So then it's act four, an occurrence from three months ago. So we get a flashback. Jennifer Tilly's drinking and watching one of her movies with Glenn and Glenda. And it's one with uh, uh, Jim Carrey. So I don't, I don't know which one that was. Then Glenn's like, they should see what she's hiding in the room. So, you know, cause she, I think she ends up passing out or something like that. So Glenn picks, Glenda picks a lock and then they see Nika inside, like in a chair. And she tells her like, she's like, your, your mother's a psychotic murderer who thinks she's in, in love with me. And she cut off my arms and legs. So then they want to take her out, but then one, I forget which one, one's like, what if she's lying? And Nika's like, you know, you can't just take me out. You know, I'm wanted in five states. I'm not going back to the asylum. And then Glenn's like, what did you do? And Nika's like, she said she was framed. So before she can leave, she needs to make sure that she has a safe place to go to or her mom will just hunt her down again. And then Jennifer calls out um, to them. So Nika's like, you have to gag me and, you know, just leave me here. So Glenda, uh, they leave, and then Glenda realizes that their knife was left behind. So they go in and get it. Glenda accidentally cuts her finger, and Nika sees the blood, and it wakes up Chucky. So Glenda, because you know she un, un uh, Glenda un ungags Nika because Nika's like hunched over because with a transformation, whatever. Then Chucky sees Glenn and laughs. Glenda, you're even more beautiful than I imagined. And Glenda's like, thanks, but what's it to you? Because I'm your dad. You're, I'm your dad, Chucky. I got trapped in this body your mom took hostage. And he he's says that you know, he didn't bail on them. It was their mom's idea, but he has a plan, poop face. And you know, Glenda's like, what did you call me? Because I was from like the dream or whatever. And then the title card's like, and now we return to the present day. So Glenn and Nika are in the room. Nika says that, oh, you know, because her p- pinky itches. So it's like, you know, something's missing. And Glenn's like, like, yeah, they feel the same way too. Glenn asks, like, do you know my dad? And Nika's like, yeah. And Glenn's like, is he as crazy as my mom is? Yeah. Then the lights go on. So it's now or never. So we, we, then we see the room is behind this, like, bookshelf, like, out in the hall. They go to the elevator. The door opens. Paul is inside dead, shot in the head. And then there's like some blood and everything. So the blood wakes up Chucky. Chucky starts laughing. And he asks Glenn if they're ready to kill their mom, poop face. Glenn's like, what'd you call me, Nika? And then it's like, oh, I'm not Nika. And then tush, Glenn gets hit in the back of the head by Glenda. So it's like, wait, what is going on? Then uh, Chucky, uh, Nika's like, now, where are my arms? So Glenda wheels Nika or Chucky into the living room. And it's, it's like, even though everyone's in there, they, they're just like staring in, in shock. Like, like who is this? Whatever. Then Nika, Chucky's like hunched over. And Jennifer turns around and Chucky laughs. Hi, yeah, Tiff. And Jennifer's like, why don't you just die already? And then 
Chucky, Nika, whatever, raises like a prosthetic arm, like almost like a robot arm, like holding a gun. You first. Commercial. <laughs> then it's Act 5, wherein the mystery is elucidated. So Chucky tries shooting uh, or is, is deciding on, on should, should he shoot Tiffany in the head or in the heart. But then, you know, click, 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 the, the gun's empty. So Jennifer slaps her or whatever, and then she's like, oh, I'm sorry, Nika. Everyone's like confused. Then Glenn comes running up and is like, come on. So apparently the prosthetic arms allow her to wheel herself normal because it's almost like it's like the arms are bent. I don't understand. I don't get how it works. But, you know, so Nika takes off or Chucky takes off. Or maybe it's Nika now after because she got hit. I think that's how it works. Glenda wants to go after, but Glenn says, we can't just leave mom like this. And then Glenn is like, fine, you know, just just ask her who Tiffany Hart is. So then a van pulls up outside. Tiffany's like screaming, or Jennifer's screaming because she's looking on, on a monitor. She's like, no. There's a ramp that leads into the van. So Nika wheels right up into the van. Who's driving it? Nice to finally meet you. I'm Kyle. So Kyle survived, which as you figure, of course Kyle survived. There's no way Kyle, when the house blew up from the, the, the booby trap or whatever. So then, uh, then Glenda comes up, puts the ramp away, and gets in the passenger seat, and she's like, uh, she tells Kyle, Glenn isn't coming. So then it cuts back to Chucky on the couch, and he's like, he's gonna welcome, you know, his biggest or one of his biggest fans, WWE superstar Liv Morgan. So a, a female, I don't know who that is. So a female wrestler comes in, um, and she talk. They they talk about like who killed Jeeves. And Chucky's like, roll the tape. So it turns out it was Glenda. And Chucky asks, you know, but who took the bullets out of the gun? And then Gina confronts Joey, uh, pulls a gun on him. Uh, so she, you know, Gina wants to know, does he love Jennifer or not? And then he says he does. And she's like, wrong answer. And shoots him oh, like over and over again using all the bullets. That's why there's no bullets in the gun. Then Chucky explains to Liv that uh, Aunt Gina got the gun for her birthday. And then... He like shushes her or something like that. He's like, you know, because she's like talking about something like that. He's like, the network is concerned that viewers will miss me in action. So he's like, roll tape. So it cuts to like Liv doing this interview saying that, you know, she doesn't want to be the lead. She wants to be brutally murdered by Chucky or whatever. And then he's, you know, then he's like sitting on her lap. He like stabs her in the gut and then stabs her again. And she like falls to her knees and she's dead. <laughs> and that's basically where the episode ends. So I mean, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know what what the the point the point was of, of all that. <sighs> you know, yeah, it shows us you know that Jennifer Tilly. You know, what? How do you explain her being involved with this when it's supposed to be Jennifer Tilly, but it's really Tiffany as Jennifer Tilly. <sighs> and and you know, yeah, it's it's good to see Glenn and Glenda. I'm not really sure where they got their bodies from because it was, see, I, I didn't because I've I've seen. Glenn, like an image of Glenn as like a doll or whatever, when from C to Chucky, I, I, I really need to see those movies. So it was an okay, I mean, it was interesting, you know, it was a little different, but I want to know what's happening with like, you know, the, the kids. So I guess we'll find out next week. And But that, that that's the thing. When we're limited on how many episodes we have and to use an entire episode on, on all that, I don't know. So maybe it's just me. Okay. Then Stargirl, season three, episode eight, Frenemies, chapter eight, Infinity Inc. Part two. 
So we see Pat and Shade, the Shade, they're in the Shadowlands. Pat says that they have to get back. And Shade's like, that's a brilliant idea. He's like, oh, I, I'm so glad you're here. But then he tells him, he's like, well, I can think for the both of us. He's like, and I already know the way. So they go to the theater because he knows how to get out of there from last season. But the theater's temporarily closed. So he raises his hand. He's going to open a portal from the outside of the theater. Shadow portal starts to open, but then explodes with green light. So then he's, you know, he's on his, you know, on his knees or whatever. Then he's like, until Jade's ring is free from the shadows, he's as useless as, as you talking to Pat. So then at the Helix Institute, like the upstairs, the doors to the other patient's room starts locking because, you know, they're doing like a lockdown because stuff's going on. Courtney manages to calm Todd with some like pep talk because Courtney is great at the pep talk, I guess. So he starts like reform, like turning human, whatever. But then Jay touches him against, and there's another like green energy blast. But then Todd gets like a memory of like his foster dad is asking him about like, like, oh, you like boys or whatever and stuff like that. And he's like, well, I'll be sure I can fix that. And he's, he's like, I'll beat it out of you or whatever. So Todd obviously went through like a lot of abuse because he had a scumbag foster dad at one point. So Courtney wakes up on a uh, on a couch in, in an office. There's like trophies on the shelf and then there's like a nameplate on the desk. It's like Louise Love Nurse. So she's a nurse loves uh, office. She tries the door, but it's locked. She goes to the window, but then realizes that her phone's not in her pocket or something like that. So she go- goes, there's a phone on the desk, but then Nurse Love comes in and she's like, you've caused quite a lot of trouble tonight. And Courtney's like, where are my friends? And Love complains that, oh, that lack of respect. And he's like, in your tone, there's like, no, please, or anything like that. Courtney's like, disrespect? She's like, how about the fact that you lied to us about Todd being here? And Nurse Love's like, you don't understand how necessary it was. And then she's like, you know, and Jenny's safe. So they were in the middle of a big procedure. And Courtney mentions that her, her dad and the shade are in the Shadowlands. And Love's like, you know, you shouldn't have come here or whatever. And then she just like leaves and locks the door. So then Courtney notices there's a camera in the room. So she's like, uh-huh. So wait, is there like cameras everywhere? In the Shadowlands, Shade said that there are rules here. There's uh, danger. The danger is like giving into the temptations. So open doors lead, tend to lead to somewhere else. They go into the diner and it's like pretty much empty. So he's like, oh, it should have taken us someplace else. And Pat's like, why? And he's and Shade's like, because the diner is insignificant to him or something like that. But then you hear, that's not entirely true. So somehow Gambler's there. Or it's not really Gambler, but he's like playing solitaire. So he says to Shade that, you know, he caused his sister so much pain that, you know, and, and she still forgave him. But Shade tells Pat that they have to leave. So then they end up going to the garage. It's like pretty empty too. But then there's a car in there, like someone's working on it. And Shade's like, who's that? So it's like this old man. Pat's like, that's my father. So then he tells him, he's like, stop standing around. He's like, why don't you grab a wrench? So then there's a flashback to to Jenny and Todd. You wonder getting pulled apart, like separated. So she wakes up on the floor in this like black room and the door is locked. So she stands back. She tries to blast at the door, but the light just kind of like bounces, like kind of dissipates like all around the room, whatever. Then I'm pretty sure it was Mr. Bowen's voice over the speaker says that the room is designed to withstand her power for her safety and for theirs. So we see Todd, he's lying on a table. He's like convulsing in pain or whatever. Someone in, in the control room like picks up a top hat and there's like a bullet hole in there. Wait, so whose hat was that? And then uh, Pat's dad asks him if, if he, you know, he wants to help. And he, then Pat's like, I've, I always wanted to. 
And his dad's like, you know, every time you try to fix something, you just make it worse. And he's just like going on and on. He starts like like digging into him. Then Shades like says that it's nightmare versions of the people they know. And he yells that, you know, Pat played second fiddle to everyone in his life. And, you know, he's just a sidekick. He's never the leader. And his Shades like, you know, we need to go. And Pat's like, oh, I still miss you, Pops. So they leave, and then they're, like, in this mansion bedroom. There's, like, someone lying in bed, like, coughing. And Shade's like, no. He's like, it's nothing I care to see. So he reaches for the doorknob, but then it's, like, green, and it burns his hand to the touch. The woman in the bed, like, calls out. She's like, don't let me die alone. And he then he keeps trying for the door. And Pat's, like, saying that he's like, I know how hard it is to lose people you care about. But he's like, you know, Courtney survived the Shadowlands. And Shay's like, she survived because of me. And Pat's like, no, she got out because of you. She survived because of her. And, you know, she had to confront her own darkness and get past it. So he's like, maybe the key is to face things and not run away. And Shay's like, I'm incapable of feeling anything. So then, you know, Pat just goes to Doria, kicks it. And there's like this big green, like fire, like blasts in. Courtney's like sitting in, in the office. She's like looking at the camera. Then she starts talking about like like who are you? You know you're watching our house and our home or school. And he's like you, you just you wait. He's like we're gonna find you. We're, you know we'll be coming for you or you know you're coming or like they'll be coming for us and then for you. He's like you think I'm helpless without my staff, but I'm not. And then this voiceover intercoms like no, but that's the point. You can set the staff aside just as Yolanda can put the wildcat suit aside. And it mentions like Rick and the hourglass, Beth and the goggles, whatever. And it, and it says that she's not like Jenny and her brother. It's like, you know, you're not like me. Then she's like, I don't even know who you are. The door opens. Mr. Bone comes in. She's like, you'll have to try harder to scare me. And he's like, my appearance is not a choice I can make. He's like, my mother was subjected to experiments while pregnant with me. So aside from my flesh being transparent, I was born with a cyanide touch. And then he goes over to this plant, touches it. And he's so he's like, anything I come into contact with dies. He's like, and that included my mother. So Nurse Love rescued him from the people who did this. So he says that he's as cursed as Jenny and Todd are because they were born this way. At Helix, they help others to learn a life of isolation, to learn to survive the only way they can, alone. So if they cannot suppress Todd's power, he will destroy them all. So it's like, I don't know if that's necessarily the best idea, you know, just living alone. That that's, that's the answer. Pat and Shade, so they, they, you know, they went through the, the, the door fire or whatever. They fall into Pat's house, and it's empty. Shade's like, oh, I don't think I can travel through the fire like that again. And then he says that Emily asked if he'd come say goodbye. So it's his sister. And he's like, the truth is, I didn't say anything to my sister today. She died because I wasn't there. And he said that he had to separate himself from her. You know, losing people is just too hard. And then Pat's dad and Barb are, are standing there, like, in the living room or, like, in the hallway or whatever. Bones says that they have to take Jenny away from there. Uh, you know, she, Courtney says that you know she may not have been born like them, but she's lost people too. So she thinks Jenny and Todd need to be together, that Todd needs her light, not those lamps. And she thinks that Todd's connection to Jenny is the only thing that can save him. It might also be the one thing that brings Pat home. So she says that you know she understands what he's doing here, but life isn't about living in isolation. It can't be. Because if we're alone, what's the point of anything? And he's like, if you're wrong, we all die. So Nurse Love lets Courtney into Jenny's room, and she asks if she's all right. And Jenny's like, where's Todd? And she's like, waiting for you. So, you know, he needs to be with you. And she's like, but when we touched, or when I touched him, and Courtney's like, he was frightened. And she's like, you, you know what that does to the fire. So she says... 
you know, to do what they did for her, you know, they, they'll, you know, she has to stand with them. You know, don't go away. Have faith. Pat's dad at the house is going on and on. Then he says that to Pat that you know, he thinks he's a bad father, but he's like, look at your son. And then there you, you see like Mike just standing there like, kind of looking, looking sad. He's like, he does everything he can to get your attention, just like you did. And Barbara's like, you don't see Mike at all. He feels worthless. So she tells Shade that, you know, he's going to die alone like his sister. And Pat's dad says, he's like, oh, you shouldn't be here. He, and then he says to Pat, he's like, she'll never be his mom. He, and he's like, Mike's mom abandoned him when he was three or four years old, was it? And, you know, she got strung out and you just, you know, took Mike away, never spoke of her again. So Pat um, gets up or whatever. And then, you know, the green flames start popping like all, all around. Cause you know, Pat's like, he's not going to put up with this anymore. Cause he's getting angry, but they're surrounded by fire. So shadow energy is popping up out of Todd. The room starts shaking and Courtney's says, the, you know, you have to go to him. So he tells her, uh, Todd tells Jenny that she has to leave, but she's like, I'm not going anywhere. Then they're they They see, they find themselves like standing in the, that bedroom from before, from like the flashback. And he says, he's like, I don't understand any of this. And she's like, I don't either, but we finally found each other. She's like, dad left this ring for me. He knew that we'd find each other. You know, somehow he knew he's like, you know, we've always been connected. We always will be. And, you know, we have to be here, you know, the light and the darkness and then the green light like shoots into him. And then it flashes back to when they're kids. But now this time they're able to run to each other from across the room. Then they hug each other. Then it cuts to them hugging like as adults. Then the shade says that he can't jump through the fire or whatever because he'll die. And Pat's like, well, it's either you die in here, you die trying. So then just like that, Todd seems perfectly fine. And then the shade and Pat appear in a room just like that. So it's like, <laughs> I guess because Jenny and Todd, whatever, had their breakthrough. So everything's fine. Then it's like the next day or it's daytime. They get ready to leave. Nurse loves well. She's like, oh, I guess you're right. And Courtney's like, where's the skeleton guy? And nurse loves like, oh, he's calming the other patients. Cause you know, he's like, there was a lot of, you know, stuff happening last night. Courtney says that what they're doing is not right. And Nurse Love says that you know, all their patients are free to go whenever they want. And Courtney says, yeah, but you know, spying on us with hidden cameras, that's not right. And Love's, Nurse Love's like, we're not spying. And she's like, well, how did you know so much about us? And she's like, we do our research. Then later, you know, after they're outside, uh, Mr. Bones, whatever, says that Courtney Whitmore might have been right. Uh, isolation may not be what these kids need. So maybe Helix should form a team of their own. So maybe that's where we'd get Infinity Inc. Will they make it a spinoff? I don't know. Shade says to Pat that he can't believe that there's someone that has powers like him that might be even stronger than him. And he remembers like the first time he got them. And then Pat's like, so help him. And Shade's like, I'm no teacher. And Pat's like, yeah, I get that. But, you know, you want redemption for the past? He's, and, you know, they're talking about like the JSA. He's like, I didn't kill the JSA. And he's like, yeah, you may not have killed him, but you were an accessory. He's like, those kids, they're orphans. They're, they're the orphans that were left behind. And then Shade's finally like, ugh. You know, so, you know, he, he finally is like, okay, fine. And then to them, he like awkward. He's like, uh, rather than make my exit, I'd like to extend a hand if you're amenable to my help with the shadows. And Todd's like, yeah, I'd appreciate that. And then Jenny's like, I'm not sure. And then the shade's like, so please turn me down because they just don't like each other. They bicker. And she's like, well, I need to get to New York. 
And he's like, New York? She's like, yeah, that's where Sandy Hawkins is, Wesley Dodd's uh, nephew. And so she's like, she says that she has like, or Wesley, Sandy, he, I think it's a he, right, has nightmares of people in trouble. So that's how uh, Jenny knew about Todd. Then Shade says, he's like, I promise to help two children, not three. But then he's like, okay, fine, let's go. And he opens up a shadow portal and they leave. Then Courtney's like, "Uh, Pat, how do we get home? (laughs) Then they're on a bus. So Pat's kind of like distracted looking out the window. And she's like, I can't believe that Shade agreed to help them. It shows that it is possible. People can reform. So she's said that, you know, she did stuff with her, without her staff. So she knows that what she needs to do when, when she gets home, she has to not give up on her friends and then, and, you know, not give up on the villains. They you know need to try to sort all this out. And then, you know, she's tries to talk to Pat some more and he's like, he just can't shake it. And she's like, yeah, I know. Uh, she's like, I know it's hard. Everything's just like, but if, if you want to talk about the shadows and he's like, not yet, but, but thanks. And then Courtney's like, uh, but we still have one question. If Helix isn't spying on us, then who? So then it cuts to Blue Valley. It goes like underground. There's a hood person like standing in front of the screens and, you know, they're all like shut off because the cameras have been disabled. He's the person staring at the image of like Rick before he broke the camera and then like awkwardly like punches through the TV screen. It's like, okay, what does that accomplish? You just broke, you know, one of your, your screens, but you still don't have any answers or what, why are you spying on them anyways? So I guess we'll have to wait and see. So, I mean, it was a okay episode, but it just, it felt like it just ended like very fast and not that I'd want it drawn out or anything, but it just, it felt too easy. I I don't know. Maybe not, but that was the episode. All right. Then this week's Star Wars and or, (laughs) and the funny thing is it was like late Wednesday for some reason, I was thinking that it comes out on Thursdays because I'm. I was thinking of She-Hulk. Cause I remember being bummed because the, the Marvel shows used to come out on Wednesdays on Disney Plus, and then for whatever reason they decided to put She-Hulk out on, on Thursdays. But Andor was still Wednesday. But anyways, season one, episode eight, Narkina. So we see like, prisoners being moved in like this prison transport ships. Um, Andor is, is told that he's going to Narkina five. But he's like, but I'm a tourist. Then we see Karn sitting at his terminal, his cubicle thing, and like two imperial dudes come in with a like his one boss. The prisoners are made to take their shoes off, and then you know they're like sitting in like chairs, like facing each other in, in this ship transport ship, and then their wrists get like strapped in, like like cuffs kind of like go over the wrist. Karn is sitting in a room. Then Dedra's there. To, what's her name? That that officer, lieutenant, or whatever she is. So he's like, what happened to Blevin? And she's like, I'll be asking the questions because Blevin used to be in charge of the sector. But then, you know, because what she discovered and what she said uh, that what's his name promoted her, moved her or whatever. So she wanted to call him in about some gaps in the report. And, you know, says that he keeps submitting requests looking to Cassian Andor, you know, that he's been there at this bureau place for less than a month. And he's filed five false inquiries. And he's like six, actually. And she's like, I wasn't counting this morning. So she's like, what are you doing? And then Karn's like, Cassian Andor is a murderer and a threat to the Empire. He's been you know, you know, trying with the limited tools available to find him. She's like, oh, so you're just concerned about public safety? And she says that 
you know, he's engaged a curiosity of the ISB. So is there anything he'd like to tell her before she wastes any more of her time figuring out what he's up to? He says that he's just trying to clear his name. And she's like, well, one would think that you'd want to leave Ferrix far behind. And he looks at her and says, he's like, well, one would be wrong. Then she's like, I have a busy day. She's like, what happened that's not in Blevins' report? He's like, I have no idea. I wasn't allowed to see the report. She's like, but you signed it. He's like, well, I wasn't given a choice. So then she walks out of the room, shows the other guy. She's like, give him Blevins' report and let him read it. At Narkina 5, the prison ship approaches a facility. Then we see Dedra. She's talking into this uh, in this like meeting room about stolen Imperial device that was recovered at the scene. The fact that it was a stolen um, and it was attempted to be covered up. So this is something that has been happening. The device was stolen by Cassian Andor, who's wanted for murdering two officers. They believe that he was selling the item to someone that they, they called Axis or Axis, 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 Axis. <laughs> because of his proximity to an organized rebel effort to acquire specialized imperial gear. She says that Ferrix was his first mistake, so she wants to find him and find out what else that he's doing. At Narkina 5, they're told to put their hands on their head. These three like officers come in, and one says that this is an imperial factory facility. They've all been assessed as labor-worthy, so they'll be sent down to a floor manager and given instructions. They're their stay there has been predetermined the quality of their stay will depend on them so they may be wondering you know how can we stand before you with no weapons so he demonstrates he pushes this button on this remote and all the guys like fall to the floor so there's like something in the floor that's why they're barefoot and you know they're the dudes are all wearing like shoes so they're getting zapped through the whatever floor and he's like that was level one of three so karn reads a report then he's like, it was worse than he feared. Cr- criminal negligence, total lack of imperial authority on Ferrix, and or obviously had an organized local cadre of accomplices. She says that he will stop issuing requests for Andor with the Bureau. She'll inform them that he is in service of the Empire today. She leaves, or starts to leave, but then he blurts out, I was a good deputy inspector. And she stops, and he's like, he says that he was very good. He solved the double murder and found a killer in two days. And, you know, he's like, maybe it was a little overly ambitious, but I didn't deserve what happened to me. And then she's like, I wish you luck. And then he says that it's clear that she needs Andor in order to uh, find his partner, whoever he's working with. And, you know, so this is more important than the death of two corporate security guards. He could be a valuable asset moving forward. She says that if he raises the alarm one more time, it won't be her he's speaking to. So she tells him to forget this happened, and then she leaves the room. And he, like, smiles a little, so it's like, I'm not sure what, what's going to happen next to her. Andor is taken to this different area. Um, then he's like, where's my partner? Because he was, like, kind of paired up with someone. So they say deliveries can't, um, can't wait or something like that. He, he then is brought into this other room full of prisoners. Everyone has to stop and put their hands on their head. This dude named Kino Loy starts talking to him. So it's Andy Circus, which was cool. He's, he seems like he's like in charge. Um, he's just a regular prisoner, but he's in charge here. He's like, I'm the 5-2-D unit manager. He's like, the 49 men in this room answered to me. It's a 12-hour shift. Productivity is encouraged. Evaluation is constant. And then he says, he makes it pretty clear that he wants to be the top working room. So there's like an incentive for doing whatever this factory work fast. And he's like, don't ever slow up my line. So he's supposed to go to this table. There's these other guys there. 
he's you know says his name is Keith, but he's just like watching them, and you know because they're they're he's supposed to start working, they're already falling behind because they're a guy short, but he's just like watches with like a scowl. There's announcement five two D productivity levels are unacceptable. A new clock is starting, so Kino's like this will be a sprint segment, and then the voice says that the least productive table will be disciplined. So Andor he's still just watching with like the scowl on his face. So is he, I don't know if he's trying to figure out what exactly they're making. It's like, it's like well, dude, what are you doing? Then we see Mon Mantha and her husband are like at like a party gathering, whatever. And, you know, they have a, just a drink. Uh, her friend Tay Colma comes up and she, you know, cause she's at the party. She had mentioned like with her husband or something like that, that she needs to work people to, to get votes against like the emperor's legislation or something like that. Then husband's like, well, I'm, I'm leaving the, the charity work or the whatever work behind. I'm going to go eat type of thing. So she started talking to Tay and he says that the new banking regulations are making things difficult. And she's like difficult or impossible. Well, he, he says that they're staffing up imperial auditors. So it's getting harder to move the money around or something like that. And then she's worried about the money that she has. And he's like, well, we'll find a way to tuck it away. And he's like, well, how much is it? She's like, what's well, about like 400,000. And his eyes are like, oh, it was like more than he thought. At the prison, Andor's just like a zombie. And, you know, so they're all in lines. Um, then he, I, I, maybe he, they must have got, maybe they got zapped. Maybe their table was slow. So he's just like we're kind of recovering. I think that's what happened as they're, they're waiting. So I think it's like a changing at a shift because like one line is facing one way, the others and facing the other. He noticed this guy like looking out the window. He's kind of like doing sign language or something like that. He looks out the window. There's this other guy like across the way in this other like tunnel. And he's seems to be doing it, too. So Mon is talking to other people about the legislation business. And, you know, they're talking about their fears and worries and stuff like that. Andor is shown his cell area. Uh, it doesn't look too bad. They, you know, they want them happy and healthy. There's like these food tubes. Cause he's like, what about food? And you just take this tube and you just like eat it, whatever. He's like, you can eat as much as you want. So it's not the best. The winner gets taste with their food. The top gets flavor and the, the loser gets fried. And I think he said, it's like, Oh, it must be hard. Like getting, you know, fried twice in one day. So then the, the guy asked him, he's like, what did you do to get here? And he, and Andrew's like, nothing. And the guy's like, well, there's been a lot of that lately. He's like, you know, some people are just getting their numbers doubled. And then there's another guy's like, what are they saying about what are this thing? But the public order resentencing directive. And he's just like, he doesn't say he's like, I don't know. So then they realize like he's never heard of it. And they're like, like, yeah, you know, there should be talking about this. And his voice tells everyone to get in their, set, their cell. So basically at the end of the day for them, they have to stay in their cell and then there's gonna be like a hot floor. Cause like Kino's like, it's like, do you walk in your sleep? And he's like, what? So basically that's their security systems where the floor will be electrified or whatever. So if you step out, zzz. Mon finally comes up to her husband. So um, there's talking to this other couple who are looking at the view out the window, whatever. And she's saying how, you know, she doesn't really take the time to look at it. And, they're talking about um, how long have they been there, and I, I, so one of them says that you know Mon became a senator at 16, and one of the, the other couple they're like, oh, is that where you two met? You know, her and her husband, and she's like, no, we had already been married a year by then. So it's like, um, holy crap. Um, and or uh, it, it says like 30 shifts later, so I guess he's been there a while now. So time jump. He comes out of a cell, 
uh, I guess they have like these group showers. They're all like standing there, just like mist comes down on them. Then they go to the assembly room, you know, they get their, their or first they get their clothes and they go to assembly room. And Andor's actually working. He's like got the groove and, and moving along. On Ferex, Bix is checking in and on Murva, uh, Andor's by uh, surrogate mom. And so she's like, it seems like she's getting sick. And Bix says, like, it's like, your breathing is, is, you know, sounding heavy. And she, she apparently had fallen too. She was, she's like, you got to be careful. You know, what, what are, what's going on? So later Bix is talking to Brasso, uh, Andor's friend. So he's like, what was she doing? You know, so Bix said that Morva fell trying to pry open the old Rick's floodgate. And he's like, was she trying to, fl- you know, flush them out or something like that? And she's like, no, she wanted to see if the tunnel under the hotel was still open. And he's like, why? And Bix is like, so the rebellion can sneak in and take them by surprise. So basically, she's like being stubborn because they're like, well, she was part of the the daughters of the Republic or something. It's like, you know, would they have a place for her to stay? And she's like, you know, she tried that, but Murva doesn't want to, you know, was, doesn't want to do it. She wants to stay at her place, I guess. So as they're talking, like at this little like canteen or something like across the street, Vel's there watching them. And Cinta comes up and sits down next to her. So she's like, Cinta's like, there's a, a room for rent around the corner. And she's like, you know, I could just stay here and alone. And because Vel's like alone. And Cinta's like, the two of us would, would draw attention. So it's like, I'm not sure why they would draw attention. So basically, in case it wasn't clear, I mean, it kind of seemed like that was, a, I don't know, maybe it was super clear before. But Vel and Cinta are a couple. They like each other, which, again, awesome, great. You know, and I'm sure a lot of people aren't happy with that. Get over it. That, that's whatever. So I don't know if she, they were implying that the two of them together would draw attention because they're a same-sex couple. I don't know if maybe in a galaxy far, far away they're intolerant as some people are here or if it's just like these two new people in town because then I think she's like, well, what, who would you say you were or something like that? And um, she's like, well, I, I could, you know, I think she said something. I think Cinta says she could say that she's just a, a, a rich girl running from her parents or something like that. And Vel's like, that's cold, like, you know, even for you or something like that. So I don't know what that means about the parent issue or whatever. But she's like, so you would just stay here and like what, wait for him to show up? And Vel's like, well, or Cinta's like, you know, we don't have anything else to go with. And Vel's like, you know, haven't we been apart long enough? Bix goes to talk to Pac, their, their, their other coworker friend or worker or whatever, you know, she hangs out or works for. She wants to use the radio and she says it's urgent. Luthen's at the art shop and he like calls out to Clea or whatever. And she got the radio signal. Says that, you know, shop owner is trying to find Andor because his mother is ill. Um, Luthen kind of like walks towards her and Kel is like, we're not answering. He's like, we can't. He's like, well, she could point us in the right direction. And, you know, she might have a lead, you know, she, but you're like, she's asking us or they're asking us. But then you're like, you know, she'd know more than we we would. Clay is like, we're shutting it all down. It's like the code to frequency. It's like, I need you to say it. And, you know, but he's like, but it's Andor, you know, knowing that he's out there, knowing what he knows and not knowing where he's going or whatever. And then he's like, you know, he's like, I'm not slipping or whatever. And then he's like, well, I, I guess, you know, Bell and Cinta could try looking in on Bix. Or, then finally he's like, okay, you know, shut it down. And then, uh, you know, Bix is still like in the thing, you know, trying to get a signal. And, and I think she realized that it's not going to happen. Then for some reason, Luthen is in the ship. He's like flying. So he sets course for Segra Milo. And I don't know if at this point if we're supposed to know what that is. I don't think we were. I don't think it's been mentioned. Maybe it has, but maybe not. At the prison, uh, 
one it's like night one dude's like standing at the edge of his prison i don't know if maybe he was sleepwalking i can't i don't remember if he was awake or not but then all of a sudden it's like so during the night he zapped and people are like oh man we're gonna smell that all day or something like that and then like some voice so something happened in the guys i don't know if he's dead maybe he just got tired of it and just gave up bix is out in the street she sees like some commotion going on and then she's like what's what's going on she asks someone they're like oh it's it's pack's yard you know the, the imperials are all over it she walks tries to go closer and she sees brasso she's like what happened and he's like they took pack last night into the hotel he never came out because his son is there his son's like a grown up and he's like where's my father or something like that and they're like kind of like shoving him back and then uh this imperial dude like in a suit not a stormtrooper sees bix in a crowd and she tries like kind of ducking and he looks at his data pad and he calls out her name so brasso tells like go to whatever someplace and he's like run so she runs he tries like 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 clumsily like blocking the stormtroopers or whatever and she's like just running down the street and they're like chasing after her at segra milo so luthan meets with saw guerrera so i guess it's he's in a cave they're like hiding out there him and his his whatever group so luthan asks him he's like was a garrison thing at aldani was that you and so i was like oh, i was gonna ask you the same thing so they, they kind of like just kind of bicker or whatever you know like oh you know you would say something like that or you know luthan says that he has some equipment for saw he's like but there's a price he wants saw to meet anto krieger and you know he's been probing the imperial power station at Spellhaus. And he found a weakness in the defense. He's like, you know, might take some time, but you know, he's he's got an angle on it. And so I was like, that man's an ox. He's you know, he's he's slow and stupid. And Luthen's like, and strong. So he's like, I just I want you to hear his plan. You know, he'll need air support. And so I was like, just how much for the stuff? Luthen says that if he meets with Krieger, they're free. If he doesn't, then he won't sell. And so I was like, I work alone. You know, I can't have my people relying on others. And Luther Luthen's like, we all need to pull together. He's like, we need you know or we need help from the empire. We need to get them angry so they come down hard because oppression breeds rebellion. And Saw says that Krieger is a separatist and he's talking about like just like difference of beliefs and stuff like that. And then he's like, well, what about you, Luthen? He's like, I never knew. He's like, what are you? And then he's like, I'm a coward. He's like, I'm a man who's terrified that the empire's power will grow beyond, you know, the point where we can do anything to stop it. He's like, I don't want to die for nothing if, you know, we can't put aside our petty differences. And so I was like, petty? And he's like, he's like, I know about this, whatever. Then then he's like, no sale today. And he's like, good luck with Krieger. So I'm not sure who this Krieger guy is. I think he's a new character. I don't think he's someone. I'm pretty sure he's new, but I could be wrong. Then back on Ferrix, they caught Bix. She's in cuffs. She's brought into, you know, or she's about to be brought to Dedra. They're like, oh, she's on, on her way up. And then um, this one dude's like, do you, do you want us to clear the room? And she's like, no, I want her to see him. So Pac's like sitting in the chair. He's clearly been beaten or tortured, you know, trying to get information. Then Bix walks, you know, is brought in. She's like, what are you doing? And Dedra's like, get him out of here quickly. Like acting like Bix wasn't supposed to see him. They take him away. Then she motions for Bix to sit in the chair that Pax was in. And then the last scene at the prison workroom Andor's he's like working with them and they're, they're moving fast and that's how it ends so it's like really <laughs> that's it I don't even know what they're doing in the factory I'm assuming it's like some sort of imperial weapons or something I, I don't know this is such a weird bizarre show you know as I keep saying it's well made it's it's interesting and fascinating I love seeing everything but it just feels like 
it's going so slow. It's like, and I don't know what's going on. It's cool seeing Saw Gerrera, you know, even if it's just this one little scene, maybe we'll see more. But man, I have no idea what's going on. Uh, and the fact that like Andor has been in this prison for 30 cycles now, it's like, what the heck? And just the fact that how did he get arrested? I'm so confused that he was on, on this planet talking, trying to get his, his mom to, to leave. And then suddenly he's on this beach planet with a false name, sharing a room with some woman. I don't even know who that was. Then he just goes to the market and he gets arrested for doing nothing. But I guess that's just how the empire is working, just picking people up to throw them in prison to get fat, you know, slave labor. So it's just crazy. Um, I don't even know how many episodes are, are left, but I hope something happens this, this season. I do like the show. All right, then there is Dangerous Game, The Legacy Murders. So this is a movie written by Brian Bucciolato. So you may know Brian. So Brian, in case you're you're unaware, Brian was the co-writer and colorist of The Flash from DC's New 52, so back in 2011. And he also uh, hit him in France, with Francis Manipole. Brian and Francis also did a run on Detective Comics. Uh, Brian also wrote um, Sons of the Devil, and a series called called Cannibal, and and he's done you know some other other stuff as as well. So he's he's done you know comics here and there. He did he does really really cool uh, Deadshot uh, Suicide Squad story. Did I really like? I didn't like that they put it like in a flip book type of thing. So I think it was like Deadshot and Katana because I just I feel like it would have been able to shine more if it was just like a Deadshot you know series. Brian, I know I had him on one episode of this podcast, like early on. And if you ever listen to the Invincibly Supermassive comic book podcast stuff, or I forget what the, I don't even remember what the podcast is called. Brian was on there many, many, many times. So Brian is a super cool guy, super gracious, so kind. Um, I'm so proud to call him a friend. Got to see him a little bit at, at Comic-Con. He's just, just a really great guy. So he's been doing, you know, other stuff here and there. And he has this movie, this movie, <laughs> Dangerous Game, The Legacy Murders. And it has John Voight is in it, which, I mean, John Voight, he, he maybe he's not at his prime now acting wise. He's, you know, he's done a lot of stuff. Jonathan Reese Myers, if you ever see, seen The Tudors, uh, Henry Cavill was in it too. So Jonathan Reese Myers, you know, he's done a bunch of stuff. And there, there's like some other, um, I forgot, I think there's, was there someone else I, I knew? So we have this movie, and um, is is it the best movie? I I think there are some things. I I I thought I heard something about the director. I don't know if this was the the first time, like a directorial debut, but I felt that there was some aspects that it almost like it. And you know who am I to, to question directing? But I just felt like some things were a little questionable with just how the scene played out or, or even what I was really kind of surprised is some of the acting. Cause again, you know, if you watch the tutors, I mean, I haven't watched in a while, but, but Jonathan Reese Myers was, was pretty, pretty epic in, in that he's done some other stuff like over the years, like some kind of cheesy stuff. He did this one vampire show. I totally forgot what it was, but man, there's just some delivery in that. And it almost makes me feel like were they 
told specifically to to the delivered her lines like that and like the family because then you know during i I haven't gotten to the plot yet but the so many reactions and how they're like oh my god it's just like oh man and you know and like some of the other actors like the the younger ones i don't know if if what they've done what their work experience i didn't look them up or anything and maybe i should have but just some things were just like oh geez what the the movie and so like it says Jonathan Reese Myers and John Voight star in this nail-bitingly suspenseful thriller filled with twists and turns a family reunion at a remote mansion takes a lethal turn when they are trapped inside and forced to play a deadly survival game where only one will make it out so uh it's kind of reminiscent to other movies and you know I always hate to compare stuff like but it it kind of feels like ready or not because, you know, if you saw it ready or not with Samara Weaving, they had to play hide and seek. So it's kind of but it's like a deadly version of, of hide and seek. And it also kind of reminds me of Saw because they're trapped in this house and there's some gruesome deaths in there. I mean, there, there's some like cool things that, that the way this this house is set up and like, what, wait, what's going on? What's happening here? And and um a little maybe a little kind of reminiscent of knives out just because you have like this ensemble cast sort of this family and it's like what's going on because at some point it gets it gets to be like wait who is who's responsible for this so the the story is it's john voight's like birthday so he he's like you know the grandfather the father of the the family and he's you know he's he's in a, a wheelchair and he's kind of been ousted from the the company by Jonathan Reese Myers. You know, he kind of forcibly took over, and he kind of claims it was to save the company. But Jonathan Voigt kind of thinks he's like a bloodsucker and like stole the company from him. So you know, there's a little bit of tension when he arrives. And then uh, Jonathan Reese Myers has a, a brother um, played by Will Sasso, who you know he and his wife and they have two kids. You know, they're there, and. Um, you know they're looking at gifts. You know, giving gifts to to John Voight and stuff. And then there's this one gift. There's like this box. It's like, wait, who's this from? Whatever. And it's the Dangerous Game, the Legacy Murders. And it's it's kind of like one of those immersive, like, tr- not necessarily true crime game, but where you have all these facts and everything, and you need to figure out like who did it. So it's almost like like Clue, but amped up. Yeah, you know, I, I I've seen one of these. I I didn't play it, but I, I know someone that, that got one and everything. It looks really really cool, where you just really have to dive into it. Then, but there's like actual like like police reports and you know photos and stuff like that. So they're not really sure what's going on and, and what's happening there. And then it, it gets to the point where like the house goes in lockdown. So they're like, what's going on? Because they, they they paid to have this house built for John Voight. It's kind of like, okay, we'll build you this house on this remote island so you can live out your whatever, you know, whatever you want, we'll just pay for it. And Jonathan Reese Myers didn't really pay attention. He just said like, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll just pay for this. Just, you know, just get off my back or just whatever, get out of my hair. So then there's quite, you know, and they're immediately, to, you know, they're accusing him. They're like, what are you doing? This is all you're doing. And he's like, I, I'm not, dude, I don't know what you're talking about, whatever. And then there's like his, uh, his, not really his butler, but his assistant dude. Is he involved with it? You know, what's going on? Cause, you know, he was, is around. And so you don't know like really what's going on. And 
they're they're like told that they have to you know there's this you got to do this you know there's like computerized whatever muffled voice telling them that they have to do this stuff and you know play this game or there will be consequences and then that's where like the saw aspects comes in because there's like different things that that are happening different like kind of traps and and you know just potentially murderous situations that they have to deal with there is one thing that happened <laughs> that i did not like and um i actually I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to like name drop or anything like that. But if you when you watch this movie, there's something that happens in the kitchen towards the beginning, and I, I don't even want to hint because it'll give it away. But I text, I'm like, dude, really like this? And he's like, I did that wasn't in the script. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure it was. He's like, no, it wasn't. So I guess that then that just goes to show you. And this is where it's kind of fascinating. You know, you look at these projects where. You know, you have someone that writes a script for a movie, and then the director comes along. Yeah, they're they're going by the script, but because they're the director, they kind of have final say, I guess. And and it depends on who the stakeholders are, and you know, because obviously, if if you're taking a script for a Star Wars movie, you can't just do whatever heck you want, because you know you have all these people overlording you, telling you what you can and can't do. But this is probably a different situation. So they probably took Brian's script, and they're like, yeah, we're going to do this, or whoever bought the script or owns a script and they're like we want to make this and then maybe uh, the director's like hey i want to do this part in the kitchen and then whoever's in charge overseeing it they're like like okay i don't think it works that they're like hey brian we want to add this and then he'd be like uh <laughs> so anyways it i i find that just so fascinating just how this works and it's it's written i know I'm, I'm kind of stepping out of the movie uh you know discussing it but it's just really cool to think that you know, the, this this is actually Brian wrote this. You know, a guy I know wrote this, and it's it's this big movie, and it, and it. Uh, I just wish I could have seen it in a theater, but it didn't play in my local theater. So it it kind of goes from there, and you know, uh, obviously there's going to be deaths, and you know, some are are kind of creative and uh, gruesome, uh, but overall. You you can kind of see where it's actually not you know I don't want to say that because it's it I wouldn't say it's overly predictable at all like when you get to like how it ends I'm sure there's gonna be like the super geniuses of the world that watches they're like oh I called that from you know as soon as the 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 screen went black and the, the opening credits started I I don't think that you can necessarily call it I I think the way it ended is kind of like a oh man so I I, I applaud that but. I would just say that unfortunately, some of the acting and just the way some of the scenes played out, it was it was a little little over the top or just just it just I don't want to say cringy, but it was a little cringy. Uh, the, just the, the story in itself was fine, and I don't think it's 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 a bad thing to compare it to you know or saying like oh this is just like ready or not and. Uh, saw or whatever because everything is kind of like something else and and i i think it's it's a, a clever take on that subgenre if you want to say because hasn't there been more than than other movies like similar to saw i mean there's so many things that are similar to other things so i i, I really like what the script does what the story does and how it takes this and applies this and you know and even the fact that you have this house and how the heck does this happen 
you know, it's just, just like so much backstory. And even like when everyone arrives at the island, you can kind of feel attention and like right away you can kind of feel that this family dynamic and how it works out. So I, I really thought that that was neat to, to see all that. The only problem I had is I watched it on Vudu. Like I bought it on Vudu because I was like, I want to buy this for, for Brian. And uh, the only thing is Vudu kept like crapping out on me. I was, it was so annoying because it's like, oh, you can't play, you know, the HDX, the high definite, whatever. And so it's like, okay, go to the regular HD. And then that wouldn't work. Okay, fine. I don't want to do this. Go to standard definition. And it just wouldn't work. And then I'm looking at like on, on Twitter, I'm searching and it, it sounds like other people were having like voodoo issues as well. It's like, come on, man. This happened to me before with voodoo, but it was a while ago. Usually I haven't had this much luck. It was just very frustrating. And then... A few hours, a couple hours later, I was—I still couldn't get on my TV. So I go on my laptop and it was able to work on my laptop for some reason. So I had to watch the rest. Of, so that was kind of a bummer. But it's a neat movie. And uh, like, you know, it's its not a perfect movie. And I wouldn't fault Brian for that. I really like what he did. And there were some cool parts in, in the movie, the way it played out. But there are some parts that were a little but it, it was it was a fun movie so check it out at some point you know if if you ever read or you know anything from brian you want to support him you can even rent it and it might be on on amazon too and you know, just just do a search you, you and you know help brian out support him because you know he's a cool guy and it, it's a interesting take on it and uh just to see something a little different you know kind of similar but also a little different and uh i think i think it's worth checking out all right and this week's main feature is the peripheral so this is a new show on amazon it's based off a i don't know if it's a book or a short story or what it is but it's based off of something and i think the the show i think I think it, the, the creators are like the Westworld creators. Uh, I, I think Jonathan Nolan and I forgot her name. I think they're involved with it. It's a, it, it's so watching these first two episodes, it, it seems kind of ambitious, seems kind of crazy. And when you're watching, it's, it's not like super clear what's going on at first, but then you know, we, we start getting, you know, more layers of the onion peel back or whatever. And uh, it's, I, I'm just really curious where this is going to go. And I think it's eight episodes. I could see, I don't want to like stop and look it up, whatever, but I'm pretty sure it's like just eight episodes. And I'm really curious like where this is going to go. You know, what are they going to you know do with this? And uh, could there possibly be more? Because I, I, I feel like there's just with these two episodes, there's like so much that they could do. So uh, let's just get to it. So the first episode, uh, I think it was, it was just pilot. It starts off in London, 2099. There's this dude. Um, I think his name is, is Wilf. He's sitting on a park bench by a pond. Uh, there's like these kind of like fake ships shooting at cannons at each other. Kind of reminded me of. Uh, wait, so now I, yeah, going back, I'm, I'm realizing it, it's a. Uh, wait, this was 2099. He's just at this park. This girl Alita sits next to him, and she says that. When she first found him, she made a vow to save him, and he's he and he's like, well, what what are you doing now? And she's like, saving the world. So he says, the world is beyond saving. And then she puts her hand on his cheek and she says goodbye. And then then she's like, out of it. So that wasn't really 
the, actually, I don't know. I'm trying to remember if the the guy looked like Wolf because Alita is definitely not a little girl. So then it it goes to Blue Ridge Mountains 2032. So that that's the present for the show. So there's this house in the woods. We see Flynn Fisher, which is Chloe Grace Moretz. She brings coffee to her mom, Ella. Um, her mom is like in bed. She's sick. You know, she she's blind. She's on has all this medication and stuff like that. Um, Flynn goes to see Burton in a trailer, like her brother. He's playing like this VR game or something like that. And she's asking, he's like, are you taking, you know, meds for mom? Because, you know, the pills are super expensive at this point. And so she thinks that, you know, he's taking them to sell or take for himself or whatever like that. And he's playing video games for money. So he asks her if she can, like, clear this level or something like that. Because the thing is, she's, like, really good at video games. But for some whatever archaic reason... I guess girls aren't allowed to play or, or, or maybe they're, not, I don't know, something like that. So he asked her to go in and do it. So in the game, and it, it looks just like reality, whatever. So she's this uh, it's like Scottish soldier or whatever. They're shooting at, at, on, a, on a farm and she's doing like really well or something like that. And, you know, she does some stuff and, and like there's like these sheeps and she frees the sheep and they, they go into this place, whatever. So then she tells her brother that, he can uh, send the money to her phone so she can buy more pills. So Flynn rides this like bike into town. I think it's like a kind of like a motorized bike. Right, I forget what those things are called, electric e-bikes or whatever. She goes ATM, withdraws some money. Then uh, she talks to this cop, uh, Tommy. They apparently have some sort of history or something like that. And she works, I think she works like at a 3D printing place. And so Tommy's there for like a wedding topper. Um and uh, the the coworkers say that you know she could be making money playing uh, you know games or something like that because uh, like you know if she used her brother's avatar and you know they didn't know that it was a girl so again something like girls I can't play I, I don't really get that why that is so then the the two coworkers show her something that she's supposed to take to Burton and they say it's something cool and then you know she's like wait for for Burton she's like how'd he pay they're like he didn't. It was supposed to be uh, Milagro's Cold Iron um, did. So it's, it's like some sort of remote piloting gizmo. And ha- they're like half the comp- components don't even have patents yet. And then this other dude said it's like mercenary poopy bets or something like that. Because it's, it's supposed to be like maybe it's, it's a Colombian company or something like that. So then she has to scan for it as a customer to you know accept it and bring it to Burton. So she comes home, she talks to Burton, and, you know, he takes the thing. He says it's like some cutting-edge VR. They want him to beta test it, so they're going to pay, like, a boatload of money. And, you know, because supposedly, like, the thing that he got all the way to past, or, like, level 107, she's like, you never got past 83, because it was really her that, that got the 107. And he's like, well, they pay by the level. And he's like, the, the longer you're in, the more they pay. And, you know, you just have to go in there and work out the kinks. So they want like an achiever, an explorer. So she agrees to put it on. And there's like no visor on the thing, which is like, you know, not like your regular typical VR thing. So she's, you know, she's supposed to relax, close her eyes or like that. Then she's like on this motorcycle driving at night in the city and she looks like Burton. So she tells this lady talking to him, you know, because he's like talking through him, whatever, that you know, she's like, oh, I can feel things. She's like, it's different than you know, other, you know, VR. So as him as as burton she and i don't know if i should say she or he so she she gets off the bike and she takes off 
the coat. This door opens, and I they're like, what's your name or something like that? And I guess he, she goes, I don't know if she chose it. It was Easy Ice. It's like, okay. So then she's in this, like, big room, and she does, like, a bunch of flips and stuff like that, testing the body out. So, you know, she has all these, like, agile abilities and everything. Then she has to go to the garden because there's this company party, and the voice directs her to this woman, convinces her to – she has to – Burton, the avatar, has to convince this woman to take him home or he won't get paid. So Flynn sits next to the woman and says, like, some charming things, whatever, and is, is invite, or actually before he, she sits, she says the stuff. Then uh, the woman invites her to sit. Um, she, the, this woman flicks her fingers and like this kind of like invisible privacy shield thing goes up. So we find out her name is Ma- Marielle and she cuts to the, uh, Flynn cuts to the chase with Marielle and basically says, you know, let's leave the party type of thing. He's just like, you know, I could try to say, say some stuff like that, whatever. So they leave and in the back of the car, they're like making out, there's like a robot driver. Then the woman voice in, in, uh, Flynn's ear and in, in Burton's ear says that uh, in his pocket is a glass amp ampoule, ampoule. So snap it open and hold it under Mariel's nose. And a voice says to be aware of his surroundings. So he snaps it. She passes out and the driver immediately grabs him while still driving and you know pulls him to the front seat, starts hitting him while driving. Flynn's like blocking the punches and then the, the driver grabs a blade and Flynn, you know, grabs an arm, you know, con- you know, the robot, the driver still like kicking and driving. The fight continues. Um, so she gets a, the driver to stop. The knife uh, managed to pierce its head. So now Flynn is driving. Muriel is still like unconscious in the back. Voice directs him where to go, pulls into his like parking spot. Um, and, you know, they're like, say, I've arrived, whatever. And then the, the brick wall just kind of parts like curtains. The voice lady is there, and she says this is her first, um, what did she say, Polt or something like that, whatever. She says that if she knows he's real, uh, but, you know, it's, it's hard to grasp or something like that. If she said that um, he likely would no longer exist in another decade, what would he say? And, you know, would he wake from here and change his life? So then he's like, well, now what? And so this is, you know, because Flynn has no idea, like, what she's, she's talking about. She says something, um, what, what's next is something eye-opening. So let's resume this tomorrow. And then uh, Flynn wakes up, and she's like, holy poop. She's like, it was like actually being there. And Burton says that she must have done something, right, because they want her back tomorrow, and they bumped up the money. And he's like, it's a lot. He's like, it could set us up for months. So she gets up, and then she's kind of like super dizzy. And so it's like, she's like, is that thing safe? And she's like, how's it work? And Ruin's like, I don't know. So she goes to this bar to meet with a guy to buy some pills. And so this this guy, Atticus, she they, they go outside in like a parking lot. She gives him like a wad of cash, and then she asks for just one pill. And she'll give him the rest of the cash tomorrow. He suggests bartering for the rest it's like oh maybe you can pay me in other ways type of thing there's this drunk guy who was at the bar he only has one arm like his other arm and his legs are have been amputated and he's like in this uh he's like in a wheelchair and the wheelchair like hooks up to this like vehicle type of thing 
And, you know, he was like really drunk, but he almost like sobers up a little bit. And he tells Atticus, why not give the lady what she asked for? And they, they kind of make fun of him, everything like that. And it's because also it's like, you know, three against one. Then Flynn tells him, she's like, you just you better just walk away. And they're like, oh, you worried about your boyfriend? And she's like, no, I'm worried about you. So this dude, his name's Connor. You know, he's he's got a beer bottle. He tosses it from like like 30 feet, like, and it goes right right into garbage can. Then after a stare down, you know, they decide to give her to one pill. So, so the three dudes go back inside the bar. Then there's this other guy sitting in the booth where they were in. This older guy, his name's uh, Corbell. They call him Mr. Pickett. So he mentions uh, like giving performance reviews. So he's not happy that they let that dude, Connor, bully them into selling one pill. So he's like all aware of what's going on. And then he basically takes the guy that was in charge. He smashes his head against the table like the... He's like, I want you to be able to absorb the lesson, whatever. He's like, when you look weak, I look weak. Do you understand? Oh, and everyone has like kind of like Southern, like twang, like accents, which it's, it's kind of endearing way. Like when, when Chloe Grace, when Flynn talks, whatever. Flynn returns home. She's about to knock on Burton's trailer and she hears him like grunting. She looks in. He's like bent over. There's like implants in, in his back. There's like lights and a circus, something like that. And he, he seems like he's in pain. So she decides like not to bother him. Then uh, later, she's like, or the next day, she's washing her mom's hair. She's talking. Then Flynn asks, like, how's she doing? And mom's like, oh, the, you know, the pain's not too bad, especially since Burton's been, you know, giving me his pills. And she's like, what do you mean? And and mom's like, well, he said he didn't need them as much anymore. So Flynn, you know, she thought that Burton was, like, stealing mom's pills, but he's been actually giving her his pills. So she's back at the trailer. She says, sorry for saying stuff about him taking mom's pills. You know, if he ever wants to talk about the pain, whatever. Uh, then he's like, you know, oh, you've been, you know, acting weird or whatever. So then she puts the device to go back in. She wakes up in like an operation room. There's like iodine stuff or whatever being applied around uh, Burton, her left eye. The lady is there saying that, you know, he, he's probably wondering why he can't move. And uh, she asks if he knows what inoculation means. And she says it's... She's the one that controls the connection and the ending. So they have Mariel's eye in a jar, and they're going to extract Burton, Flynn's eye. And the lady says that none of this is real. And so she's like, you know, show me that you can calm your heart and rein it in. So the eye is taken out, and it's pretty gross. <laughs> the surgeon then takes Mariel's eye and says that he's earned some shut eye. So this is when, remember, she said that what's when he's like, what's next? Or Flynn's like, what's next? And the lady's like, something eye-opening. So I think that was supposed to be a joke. The surgeon knocks out Flynn, and Flynn Burton wakes up in the back of a car, and, and she's going to open, or he's going to open some doors for her, or something like that. So she gets out. The eye sensor opens this big door. There's this elevator. They go down, passing by like all, several different things. You know, like there's all this for mach machinery and, and like factory. There's like a, a aquarium level, like whales or something like that. And it's, I think they go like over 100 levels down. Then inside uh, this room, she asks if she's ready to lay claim to his destiny. Uh, so he has to put his regular eye up to this device thing. He tries like pulling away, but then she like shoves uh, his head closer to the device. Then there's this guy coming and she tells Burton Flynn to stop him because he's there to kill them. So Flynn goes right up, gets knocked down and like cuffed. 
you know, the, the dude knocks, puts like these handcuffs on her. Then when the, the lady comes up, the dude scans her and her data pops up. So we find out at this point, because again, this is on Amazon Prime. So whenever you pause it, you see all the characters' names on screen, which is helpful a lot of time to see like what's going on. So we find out this lady, the voice's name is Alita West. And it says that her, you know, I actually had to like pause it and look at it. Uh, I had to get up and re- read the screen. She was born on April 8th, 19 or 2061, not 1961, because we're whatever. So this was supposed to be during 2032, and, this, and she was born in 2061. Uh, and then she has like this scalpel or something behind her back. She runs up to the dude, and he has like plenty of time to, to shoot her. He sends a, the, he shoots this gun, has, sends like a blast wave that knocks her down. He's like, oh, you've never felt that before, have you? It's like, it's like some new device that delivers a sonic punch. And then he holds a gun to her head and demands to know who else is involved. Meanwhile, Flynn is trying to get up, but like cuffed, pulls an arm free from the cuff thing, but like kind of rips off the skin. And then she, he has like this techno mechanical hand of sorts. Then gets uh, Flynn gets shot again. Then the dude asks Flynn like who he is, and Alita uses the opportunity to escape. Flynn gets blasted again and again. She wakes up. Burton's like, what happened? And she's like, never again. She's like, never flipping again. So her uh, Flynn's coworker at the, the the 3D shop, I think she works there. Her name's Billy Ann Baker. She comes to her room in the morning and tells her, shake a leg. And Flynn's like, I'm, I'm not going in today. And uh, Billy Ann tries getting some clothes for her to wear. And she finds like the wedding topper figuring from Tommy because there was like two grooms or something like that. They actually made like an extra dude. And he's like, oh, I don't need this. So then uh, they... Uh, so I, I don't know if I forgot who, if it was Flynn or someone else, took it and just like snapped it in half. Uh, Flynn went, must have went back, taken it and glued it together. Billy Ann finds it and then Flynn tells her, she's like, wait, what's this? What's going on? And she's like, just stop or whatever. And, and she's talking about like a seventh grade f- crush and, and she tells her about, starts telling about the VR stuff, how it was real. And then like, you know, her eye getting taken out, her hand being like a machine. And she's like, if it's also real, why make a hand like that? You know, why not just an actual human hand? Then she says, you know, she's like, you know, here it is. I can't help but think that I was actually there, you know, in a real body somewhere that's real, not just another sim. So she goes to work. She's like, you know, cleaning the windows, like, you know, squeegeeing the, the windows outside. She gets a call on her watch. This dude says that she's in danger, that everything she believes about the headset is wrong. Everything. The situation is far more complex and perilous than she can imagine. So it's crucial that she log back into the sim immediately. And she's like, how'd you get this number? And he says that getting her number was the least difficult task. And she's just like, don't call again. And, and he's like, your life is at risk. But, you know, she hangs up the call. So there's a state trooper. He's they're at like a gas station, and he's there's a couple dudes. They, you know, they look suspicious. They get in their cars, so he goes after them, and then it appears like there's tire tracks that kind of go off the road or something like that. So the the the, the trooper stops, and then this guy like pops out behind him with this rifle, tells him to step in the road. And he's like, why? So you know, he's like, just do it. He, and then he gets hit by nothing. By he gets hit by an invisible car. It's a car like stealth mode. The guy with the gun gets into his car, and then they both drive off, and, and both cars go into stealth mode. So Flynn dry, turns uh, the lights off at work, and then the dude who calls her, so his name is Wilf Netherton. So Wilf, again, was that name of the guy at the beginning. 
He starts talking through some of the machinery pods, things, whatever, and says it's extremely important. She logged back in. She's in grave danger. They put a, a post out on the dark net with a $9 million bounty for a contract killing. Her, so her family's in danger. The offer has been accepted by a party out of Memphis. And he's like, I can't protect you unless you sign back in. So she's like, whatever. She locks up and leaves, even though you know she's like trying to turn off the machines. They keep coming back on. So she hops on her bike. She goes back home. Flynn finds Burton hanging out with his uh, war buddies or drinking around a fire, and she tells him about the $9 million bounty hunt hit. They all laugh at her or whatever because, you know, they don't, they don't believe her. They don't know what she's talking about. So Burton's like, oh, the guy's just trying to get you, you know, back into the harness because, you know, so they could test it more. He's like, I'll call tomorrow and tell him to fudge off. And she's like, well, why don't you do it now? He's like, well, I have company. And a friend's like, oh, he's probably too drunk to find his phone. So then uh, one of Burton's friends talks about Connor, and they think that, you know, maybe they shouldn't take the threat lightly because they're like, look at what happened to Connor or something, you know, whatever. So then they're like, well, let's look around with the drone, you know, get the drones out or something like that. And then the guy piloting sees like, oh, hey, oh no, look at this. There's like at least 12 heat signatures headed their way with like rifles. So they're about to all get killed and shot up. That's the end of the first episode. Second episode, uh, so season one, episode two, Empathy Bonus. In the city, this doctor lady, Sharice, talks about the breach that they've had. The security dude, Daniel, says that they've traced the operator. They've taken the necessary means to, uh, the necessary, necessary steps to eliminate the threat. They're clearly talking about Flynn accessing whatever, so they want to eliminate the threat. He mentions a posting on a dark web. Uh, the doctor, like, bends down and looks at the Burton Flynn body sitting inert in the corridor. So like where they were in the last episode and she asked if the post has been accepted and the dude, Daniel, he's like immediately. And she's like reliable. He's like ex military elite unit. And she says that it's not just him. They want dead. Cause they think it, it's Burton. It's like anyone even remotely associated with him. Daniel's like, well, the post was pretty explicit in that area. Scorched earth. So they're going to take out anyone, anyone and any, everyone around there. So Burton tells Flynn to get Mama in the basement. Burton and his friends say that those guys don't know who they picked the fight with. So they all link up. With, they, they all have like some sort of tech inside them, whatever. And they, get their, they all have guns, like these rifle, assault rifles type things or whatever. Flynn goes in the house, but Mama had taken the sleeping pill, so she can't wake her up. Then the power turns off, so they cut the power. Then the, the shooting starts. Burton and his friends, they, they start taking out, you know, you, at first it's kind of hard to see like what's going on, but they're starting to take out the, the military or the ex-military dudes. One bounty guy, I think he saw Flynn turn on like a flashlight at the house. So he heads that way. Flynn tries hiding downstairs. You know, she couldn't wake up mom. And so she's like down there. She starts her, like the Roomba vacuum, auto robot vacuum. And the guy like turns, and like shoots at it. And then she hits him from behind. She like knocks him, knocks him, you know, hits him in the, in the head. Um, she gets a shotgun and she goes up back upstairs and as he's coming, she's tells him, she's like, drop it. He's just like, he's like not even phased cause he knows that she's not going to shoot. He just like, uh, turns and points at her, but then he ends up getting shot in the head. So Burton shot him from like outside, like he scoped him out and was able to make a headshot outside. They say they got all but two of them, uh, cause they took off, but they were, they, they can see on the drone that they, they're really turning back. So they start shooting, and then there's this light, and then when there's more shooting, Burton's, like, confused. Turns out it's Connor, 
So the dude in, in the, the bar in the motorized wheelchair, he, he took out these two guys. Wolf catches up with Alita in the city, so it looks like, you know, London. They start talking about something or other. I uh, wasn't really sure where that was going, and they, you know, they're not really there. It, you know, that becomes clear. So then um, Wolf wakes up in bed. He gets a call from this dude, Lev. He talks about the bounty against a, a girl and her family. So Wolf is supposed to be a fixer, so he needs him to fix this problem. So get the girl inside the peripheral now. He says that, you know, she's their best chance at finding Alita. So they really need to find Alita. But it's like weird. It's like he was just talking to Alita, wasn't he? Flynn puts on the harness. Burton says, you know, I say, I'm sorry. I know this is the last thing you want to do, but we need to intel. Now she's in her own body. And her hair is, you know, she's kind of wearing like a, like a cloak or a hood. Her hair is kind of like fancy. And she's got like bright lip, lipstick on. She's wearing like this black kind of smart suit, like kind of kick butt suit. And, you know, she looks in the mirror. She's like, like whoa. Wolf walks in and he, Wolf says that it can be altered in any way she'd like. So he introduces himself. He puts out his hand. She won't shake his hand. And he says that he'll be as direct as possible since neither has time for anything else. He says he's trying to find a woman, Alita West. He's sure she may have been the last person to have seen her. And he shows her Alita's pick. Flynn says that she thinks he should be telling her why people are trying to kill her and her family first. And then maybe she'll go and play a stupid missing lady sim. He says that she's not playing a sim. Uh, she's inside what they call a peripheral telepresence. She's piloting the body now as if it were her own. And all this, he's like, let me show you. They go outside and they're in London. And But there's like these huge statues and stuff like that. She's like, this ain't London. She's like, where are all the people? He says that that's where things begin to get a bit tricky. He's like, this is London, but London 70 years from what you think of as a present. And she like chuckles at this. She's like... I'm supposed to believe that I time traveled here, the future London. And he's like, no, if you time traveled, you'd be here physically. He's like, it's merely a matter of, of data transfer. Quantum tunneling is a technical term for it. He says that he understands her confusion, but she's like, no, she's like, I'm not confused at all. I just don't believe you. So what I like about this is we, we get hints that Flynn is like really smart. But it's, it's just like, and I, I think part of it is because she has this like Southern accent, you know, and the way she speaks, you know, saying ain't and whatever, you know, it's not proper English, blah, blah, blah. But I think, you know, she's, she's really pretty smart. So he's like, oh, you want my bona fides? Then he uh, says her, her mother has a brain tumor. He's like a uh, glioma. Uh, and that doesn't really convince her. And he's like, he, it's going to kill her in four weeks on September 22nd. And late in the evening. And Flynn's like, that's not true. He's like, the doctor told her that it won't do her in. There's plenty of stuff in line ahead of that. He asks if her pain's been intensifying. That's usually the first sign. He hands her a newspaper and there's like obituaries. And she reads it. And he says that they've, they, they've developed a drug to treat gliomas. It's rather easy, kind of like spraying weed. He sent the formula to the pharmacy and they're printing it now. So she says that they can't afford Ford Farmer John, which is, I guess, the pharmacy in her, her time. Wolf is like, we wired payment directly to the pharmacy. So he tells her to think on it, but don't waste time because the situation is urgent. He can't stress that enough. Her and her family remain in grave danger. Those men at, that came won't be the last. So she needs his help to stop them. 
and he needs hers in return, and then she exits. So she exits the trailer. Um, Bert and Connor and others are like gathering the body, and they're trying to figure out what to do with them. And she tells Burton that she's heading into town, and he's like, "You can't go alone." And she's like, "Fine, you know, you know, send somebody." So he sends Connor with her. She she goes to Farmer John, and she gets you know the new drug. At home, she puts it's like some stuff in a needle. She asks Mom if there's something she wants to tell her about her glioma, and she's like, "Oh, sweetie, who told you?" She says that she wanted to protect Flynn, not steal like a precious moment and weigh her down. You know, since there's not that much time left, she doesn't want her worrying. And Flynn's like, "How long?" And mom is like, six weeks, if I'm lucky. And Flynn says that, well, this new drug is experimental. They don't know what's in it. And mom is like, well, what's the worst it could do? You know, kill me faster or something like that. I forgot what she said. So Tommy, that deputy sheriff dude that Flynn likes, he's driving the back roads and he stops and he like backs up. There's this coffee cup just like floating in the air. So he gets out. It's sitting on a stealth car. Because he like kind of uh, he he bumps the the coffee up off the the car. Then he's like, when he touches like the car, you can kind of like see like an outline, like just an immediate area. So he kind of just keeps reaching around, finds the door handle, opens it up. You can see the interior of the car. Well, I'll be damned. So at Flynn Burton's guys are like burying the, the bodies with the bulldozer. Burton says that he wants Flynn to fill him in. She says that it's not a sim. She's operating in an actual body. It's some kind of robot, she guesses, but more realistic. It looks like her, feels like her, except it's in London. So the guy said that she witnessed something while she was there, something that those folks want her, want to kill her to keep her quiet. And he says that he still doesn't see what's so hard to believe. And she's like, it's in the future. She's like 2100. And he sits forward and, he, and says that he assumes he gave her reason to believe that. And she says that he gave her a drug for her mama for her tumor, and he says that it will cure her. And he's like, fudge that. He's like, we're not taking his word on anything. She cuts him off saying, I already gave it to her. He's like, you what? She says that you know he showed her her obituary, that she's going to die in four weeks, and if, you know, if they don't do anything. He's like, you just believe that? She says it was real. It felt real. She says that she'll go back and get more intel. Burton's like, no, fl- no flipping way. You're not doing going back there. He says that he he's going to go. She's like, no. He's like, he doesn't want you. He says that she's letting the guy think he's in charge. And she says, she's like, dang it. She's like, why do you have to go and fudge things up all the time, huh? Then she apologizes. She's like, what happens when more people come hunting us down? He's like, I'm going. This ain't a discussion. And he just like leaves the room. In future London, Flynn returns, and she asks Wolf, where are they? So they're in the rear garden at Lev's place. Um, there's this lady, Ash, who's like Lev's companion or something. She's in there, and there's this other dude. Flynn is getting debriefed, and she asks what happens to the body when she's not in it. Liv says that it has an eight-hour sleep cycle. The rest of the time when she's off in her stub, it runs on AI. And she's like, what does my stub mean? They all kind of look at each other, and Wolf's like, when a party from our present made contact with the past, that past immediately branched off and formed its own continuum, or parallel time well, timeline, if you will, or stub. In other words, our two timelines were identical until that moment of contact. At that point, they separated. Ash says that he's not helping at all. And Wolf says, well, well you know, anyone can jump in and explain. Love says that it can be confusing even for them. So perhaps they should focus on the main thing and trust 
the secondary details will fall into place. Flynn says that it's like urgent, like people coming to kill her for and her family and lives like, for instance, from their perspective, urgent being what happened to Alita West. So Flynn's like, why is she so important to y'all? And Ash says Alita worked for this entity called the Research Institute. Her duties there gave her access to Flynn's stub, and they've been paying her to provide them with a trapdoor into it. Now that she's missing, they risk losing that connection. So Flynn's like, mm-hmm. Well, what were you all up to in my world then? Seems you're going to an awful lot of trouble here to find things out. Kind of just uh, bets the question, why? Lev says that you could call it intellectual curiosity. And Flynn's like, oh, like a game? Like you're playing a sim? So we aren't real to y'all? Me and my family, my friends? Liv's like, asset, are they real to her? And Flynn exhales. She's like, well, I'm working on it. Deputy Tommy's checking out both the stealth vehicles. He must have figured out how to like turn the stealth off completely because you can see the cars. He finds like this pretty real big bullet like on, on the floor, like under seat of one of the cars. One of Burton's buddies uh, or friends, Reese, scopes Tommy walking up. So they have to pull back the drones. Burton tells the dude that if Flynn wakes, don't tell her where he went. Uh, just say that he went walking the perimeter. So Flynn asks about the drug that they gave her mom. And all it's done is make her sicker. Wolf promises that it'll do what he says. You know, just give it time. Flynn's like, well, that's one thing she don't have, ain't it? And she asked how they got that information anyways. They had her obituaries. Uh, you know, so she's like, what happens to me? Uh, Wolf says that, as they explained, when someone from their world made contact with hers, she says she gets it. She gets the whole stub thing. But what happens to Flynn Fisher in their timeline? Does she get married? Does she have kids? Is she still alive? Uh, you know, what about her brother? Wolf says that there's information to a certain point. After that point, the records became rather spotty. So she asks, at what point and why? Liv's like, well, a lot can happen. Or Lev, I think he keeps saying Liv. Lev says that a lot can happen in 70 years, and a lot did happen. So he says that they're getting a little off track when you know she asks specifically like what, what happened. She wants to know what they're hiding from her, and Wolf says that these are all excellent questions, and in time, they'll all be answered. You know, he gives his word. And she's like, you keep saying that. When will, you know, my mother get better? The other dude says that, um, you know, who's been standing, there's this other guy, that the old guy standing there, his name is Osian. He starts speaking like in this other different language. And Wolf says that they can encrypt their voices when they speak to each other. So she'll grow accustomed to it. Osian says that he was just informing Ash that the medicine in question has a 57% efficiency rate. Ash clarifies that means the ability to produce a desired or intended result borrowed from the Latin, and Flynn's like, I know what the fudging word means. Then Osian says that he was just informing Ash that the medication in question has a 50% efficacy rate. Ash uh, clarifies he's, that that means ability to produce a desired or intended result borrowed from the Latin word, and Flynn's like, I know what the fudging word means. She's like, what does it mean for my mother? Ash says that they can't guarantee the drug will work, Flynn's not happy with that since Wolf said that basically said it was going to work. She mentions that they have, you know, extinct animals because there's these like weird, I forgot what they were that were brought back. And, you know, they, they brought 
they brought the animals back to life. They have time travel. They have moving tattoos because I think Ash has had this one like on her back or whatever, and it's like butterflies or something moving. So it seems it shouldn't be too hard to help a good woman who's had a poopy run of luck lately. Uh, she's like, make that happen, and I'll start talking about your missing lady. And she adds, I'll give you my word on it too because she's getting sassy because Wolf keeps saying, give you my word. Tommy talks to Burton, shows him the bullet. as like, ever, ever come across one of these? Burton looks at it and he's like, you know, you know what? That's a 6.8 SPC. We use those in a war on occasion. Tommy wonders why it'd be, you know, all the way out here. And then Tommy asks if he and Flynn are mad at him and Dee Dee. And Burton's like, why would we be mad? He said, because all these vehicles, he's like, looks like you're getting ready to roast a pig or something. So he's wondering why they didn't get an invite. Then he recognizes the car and Burton says, it's just another stupid drone tournament. Uh, you know, he didn't think Tommy would be fool enough to mess with those. Flynn wakes up from the the head the, per, the thing. She calls out to Burton, it's a, and it's it's starting to smell outside from the the bodies and there's flies. Some of the guys are like still chopping and burying whatever. Back inside, Wilf tends to Flynn's stub. It's just like sitting on a bench. Lev comes up and says that he knows how invested he is with this. So Wolf has some connection to Alita. Um, so Lev is worried that he might feel the need to push the pace a little with Ms. Fisher. And Wolf says that Lev said that time was a resource they can't afford to waste. Wolf says that, you know, he understood that Lev just wanted to talk with Alita. That's why he arranged an introduction with Flynn. Lev says that those conversations led to the possibility of access to this young woman's world. Wolf asks, you know, why would he want access? And then he talks about good knowledge and bad knowledge and, you know, bad knowledge can put you in peril. He's like, you know, and you know, I don't lie to my friends, so please take care of what you ask. So Lev is like up to something and he's not being like upfront with it. Flynn sees Tommy walking away from Burton. Uh, she asks what he said and Burton says that there's two abandoned SUVs up the road with some like new kind of cloaking tech. He asks her if she's okay, and she's like, I don't know. And she's like, you know, how did it come to this? You know, there, there's a pile of dead bodies back there. And he asks her if her friends from the future are going to help or are they on their own. She says that they're doing what they can. They're watching, and they'll try to warn them next time. They did say that they're sending money, though, uh, a lot, so 250000 He says that as soon as that hits his account, he'll lose his Social Security. And she's like, I know they said that they they'll they'd figure out a workaround. So at the bar, Leon was one of the guys. He's actually like his cousin. He wins a lottery. Um, then they try explaining to him that it it w- was wasn't luck or something like that. Because I think they told him about the future stuff too or something like that. So then that Corbell Pickett dude, he's at his table. He sends some beers over to them and congratulations. Because, you know, the, the the lottery thing went off, like, right there while everyone's in it. He's, like, jumping up laughing or screaming uh, or that he won Leon. F- so Flynn doesn't like Corbell. So Burton's, like, just manners, Flynn. He's, like, just raise your glasses because, you know, they, they raise her a toast to him or whatever from across the room. She finally raises her glasses, and then she, like, spits in it. <laughs> and he must have seen her. Leon, is, he, he goes to the bathroom. And then she notes that Corbell is still staring at them. And Burton's like, well, it's like our idiot cousin just did just win the lottery. So it makes, uh, makes this kind of interesting for a minute or two. Burton says that, you know, he's one step closer to believing her about the future stuff. You know, he's been making a list for their little army. 
And she asks, well, what about Connor? And he says that they can't count on him being sober. So he talks uh, about her being too nice, like in the sum, when she was uh, at the beginning of the farm, she let the sheep out because she felt bad for them. But they were their only cover. But in the game, uh, tactically, it didn't make sense. But they did get a sympathy bonus. And he says that there aren't any bonuses in the real world. But she says, but if there were, you, you know, you wouldn't find them, you know, because he wouldn't do things like that. So then she's like, well, I'll, I'll see you at home. So she's, you know, heading back. Burton feels um, guilted into going over to Connor's. He's passed out on the couch. There's like prescription drugs and like a handgun are like within reach. He ejects like the bullet from the chamber. Then he turns off the TV and then Connor wakes up right away, grabs his gun. And Burton's like, are you uh, not worried that you might shoot someone someday? And Connor's like, is that why you don't come a visiting? Uh, Burton says he, he's he says that he asks if he's drunk, and Connor's like, "Well, I'm, I'm something." So Burton says that he took off right after you know the other night. They have a ongoing situation, and they could use a, a good staff sergeant. So he talks about how he rode by before, and he saw there's just one guy. They must have scoped him, but he he let him by. Out of, they, so basically, he's saying that the, the dude saw Connor go by, but they felt sorry for him, so they didn't bother messing with him. So they just said, whatever, you know, he's, he's, he, they let him go, and they didn't shoot him. So that made him angry, like this whole pity thing. Then, then he asked Burton how much he thinks the VA spends on putting them Humpty Dumpties back together, and he's like, not enough. So they should, Connor's like, they should just let, let us shoot each other. You know, half would be dead and the other would be happy. So he says, it, you know, he's like, it did feel good in that firefight. And Burton has like smile and everything like that. So, you know, he did enjoy it. Then Connor asks, you know, what does he have going on up there? Burton says, well, Flynn took a trip to future London, saw something she wasn't supposed to. Now folk from up there are trying to kill us. Connor says that, you know, he's pretty fudged up, but not that fudged up. Burton's like, I didn't think, or I didn't say you had to believe me, so sober up. Come camp at our place. The sober part is non-negotiable. Connor just like, you know, he tried giving a, he, he, he threw a beer to, to Burton and had one for himself. He chugs the beer and he starts to lay down and because uh, Burton had put his beer away. Burton says, like, he's like, are you going to remember me standing here saying this in the morning? And Connor's like, uh, I'd say it's 50-50. So then Burton writes on a, a sheet of paper. It's like a symbol or something like that and puts it on his chest. It's like a capital B. And then like inside the two loops, there's like a W in one and an H in the other. So it's probably something for their unit, I guess. I don't know. Corbell, Lee, that, that dude, he's in this like Havana club sim. The Mater D is like, oh, I noticed you're not with the senorita. And he's like, would you like some female companionship? So there's this lady, uh, you know, you can choose from like a bunch of them. Carmen comes out to him. Then someone asked, uh, Senorita, can you excuse us? So the dude sits and says, Mr. Pickett is a hard man to contact. So some say that he has power and influence in Clanton circa 2030. Corbell isn't happy. He's like, what WTF is going on here? And the dude says that they have a situation that would require some local knowledge. So they would like to pay him $10 million to eliminate two members of his community. He opens a suitcase full of money and Corbell's like, who are you? 
and he's like, Homeland Security? He's like, so he basically thinks that they've hacked his VR unit. The dude says that they're prepared to transfer 25% to his account now as a good faith payment. The rest would, come, would be paid upon completion. The individual's names are Flynn and Burton Fisher. Burton stands up. He's like, you think I'm a fool? He's like, this is entrapment, a-hole. He's like, open and shut. Then he's like, end game. He takes off the visor. So Flynn is on her laptop. She searches Milagro's cold iron, which is where the, the headset came from. Doesn't really find anything. She enters Wolf's like first last name into the search. Then she tries Alita's name, which but again, Alita hasn't even been born. Then her hand starts like kind of cramping, like gripping the mouse, and she has to like pry it off with her other hand. Corbell is like staring out his bedroom window. His wife's like, oh, how is Havana? And then he's like, he doesn't really say anything at first, but then he's like, oh, it's always better when you're there. And she's like, oh, whatever. Then he's saying that, you know, they, they might have to take a break from it, from like all the VR stuff, whatever. And she's like, what, why? And then his phone buzzes and he looks, $250,000 been deposited into his account. So Flynn gets awoken during the night by its bang and she calls out to Burton, or she calls and she's like, Burton, get over here. I, like on her phone or watch or whatever. So she sneaks downstairs. There's like someone in the kitchen and she like turns the light. She's like, mama, what are you doing? And she's like, you okay? She said that she was hungry and she thought she was in a dream. Then, she, and she's like, and I, I can see you. She says, cause she had lost her eyesight. And Burton comes in with a rifle and mama hugs Flynn. So it looks like the drugs are finally working. And that's where the second episode ends. So like I said, I'm really interested in this. Uh, I'm probably going to watch like the third episode like soon, but not early enough to make it for this episode. So you should definitely check it out. It's 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 worth watching. My only hope is <laughs> that there's not like this big cliffhanger at the end and then it, the show gets canceled or doesn't get renewed because that's happened way too many times with like Netflix and Amazon shows. So hopefully people are watching it. Hopefully you're watching it because I thought it, it was was really neat. But with that, that is going to be the end of yet another episode. So big thanks to David McPhail and Andrew Loken because they are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash jmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. Like even a dollar, anything will help. Uh, and if you commit to the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck. So additional 30 minutes of podcast every single week. If you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. Okay, as far as next week, um, I don't think there's anything coming out in theaters that that I'm going to watch. Um, Enola Holmes 2 comes out on Netflix. I wasn't super crazy about the first one. Um, there's a Weird Al Yankovic story on Roku channel, which I don't think I have access to that. I don't even know how you watch that. I have a Roku stick, but I don't even know if it works because we, we don't use it anymore. So I, I don't know. I mean, there's I could always go back and watch Pray for the Devil. I mean, maybe maybe I need to. I haven't checked what, what the, whatchamacallit, the, reviews the ratings are so there's always that um i don't know if i can't remember if there's anything new coming on tv you know i do think i think titans might actually start on thursday 
Um, could it be Thursday? Let's see, the third. And I there's probably gonna be like two episodes, so maybe I do that. Maybe I do like two episode, make that the the main feature because that's gonna take more time. Um, I don't know. You may maybe pray for the devil. I don't know, or maybe it'll just be Titans will be the the main feature. Um, but other than that, I hope you're doing well. I hope you have or had a happy and safe Halloween. And I hope you're doing well. And I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you're finding time to just do something fun and maybe try to do something fun for someone else. So I hope you remember to be good to each other. 